Welcome back, Screamers, to another episode where we consider our places in a world in which we did not ask to be born. <laughs> That's right. At the time of recording, it's July 27th, we are fully enmeshed in the Barbenheimer or Oppenbarbie universe. That'd be a good place for a Wilhelm scream to be thrown in there. <laughs> just, just like, oh, it's <laughs> like falling. <laughs> you know, before we jump into yeah. it, I, I think... Funny is not the right word, but I and I know that we're we too are just voices in the void. So it's not it's not like I think that we're. I mean, I do. So let's not let's not let's not play games. Right. But I think that we're the preeminent movie voices of our generation. <laughs> this is true. I mean, like it's it's it goes without saying. I just said it, but it should go without saying. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again. <laughs> I, I hear all of this, like, oh, studios should pay attention and, like, like to, to what? Like, this idea of, like, we're going to release two different studios are going to release movies that are going to capture an amount, like, that they're, like, Universal and Warners at some point in the future are going to work on a summer release of, you know, Fast 11 and Mission Impossible, you know, Dead Right, and then release those on the same weekend. This is such a weird, like, confluence of events where yeah. two studios weren't going to back down most likely because Oppenheimer was already in the IMAX settings anyway mm -hmm. so you you mm -hmm. had to lock those in and then and then Universal just saying look Barbie is a decent counter program to Oppenheimer and you can't like recapture a cultural phenomenon that allows these two to like oh what are we going to do who what are we going to see and <laughs> And, and and again, you're talking about Nolan and an up and comer. Gerwig's established, right? Right. right. I mean, but she's still like she's not that well known amongst the. She. The, this is her third film. Right. It's not right. her eleventh. Like, right. Right. Like Nolan's. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a big, huge IP, right? That's been bandied about for a really long time. I mean, like this is something that Mattel's been trying to get off the ground forever. Um, they threw it over to Amy Schumer, and and she bolted after a while because she wasn't able to get it done in the way that she wanted to get it done. And then basically, they were, you know, to Mattel's credit, they allowed Gerwig and Bombach to do, you know, put their stamp on it to a certain extent. But to I think, a certain, I, yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. Well, I think, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. get into that for sure. I, I I do think that this idea of like this is a repeatable thing. Like, I mean, yeah, I I just don't see it anymore. I don't see it. This is a thing that happened. We should all just take. Uh, a little bit of whatever joy you want to take into like the poster mashups and the t-shirts yeah, and things like yeah, that. And let's yeah. just take it and we'll, oh, you remember that summer. But I mean, like, this is never, I won't say, <clears throat> I won't say never, but this is not something that you can manufacture. And there's no studio ever that's going to do it to two of their own properties. So like the idea that Universal and Warner, they didn't team up. They just didn't flinch and they just set in their dates and didn't move. Yeah, it was release um, date chicken. <laughs> right. And so this idea that we're going to see this or like we're going to see this in the future, I think, is a ludicrous prospect. Do you think it's just people trying to reinvigorate, recapture this kind of cinema theater experience because we have seemed to have have lost that that theater going thing and people lament it so much as they sit and watch things on their couch? I think if they lamented it, that they would go. But. And and I think I, I don't I think this was but, but is there counter is there counter like well if they did this I would go, and I mean look I'm being right like, but I mean you can only like Barbie two won't do this kind of this it won't be this movie just tell me it won't be <laughs> it's gonna be but it won't be Gerwig it, it'll be something yeah. else right um, but this gave 
people. One, I, I, the things that studios should pay attention to, right? A female-centric, driven IP, and 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 that for whatever reason, I guess it's been derided a little bit online, and we'll probably not love it a hundred percent as much as it's being loved right now. Um, but I mean, not not for not for non-artistic mm. reasons. We're not going to sit there and say this is not some Proud Boys event. Like <laughs> right, we're going right, to tear right, into right. it. Right. Um, I don't. So this gave. I, I, so that's what they should be paying attention to, right? I mean, like uh, this idea of um, you know uh, female voices and, and a uh, you know a, a prominent or up and coming prominent, soon to be prominent female director. Uh, I do think, though, that the problem that we're going to that we face after this is that Gerwig goes directly to Chronicles of Narnia for Netflix. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, Sarah Polly comes off of women talking and goes directly into Bambi, a live mm-hmm. action Bambi. And I'm like, I get it. I understand the need for money and the the ability that the power that those movies will hopefully Although you can make an argument like the Eternals didn't do anything for you know something like, out, right. right so um, there's a danger there um, and there's a danger for the Narnia films to like not I mean like I just I don't know I don't know why that is the next step for her and I don't know what she what kind of spin and looking at Barbie I really I mean like if, if she's going to be painted within a certain uh, where she's going to be kept in a, you know, and under wraps, essentially not under wraps, but you know, within a certain framework of where she can work. Like she's not going to be able to go out and like make a subversive Chronicles of Narnia. Right. I mean, it's like the message is going to be the message, right? She's not even going to, I don't think that she can even escape the Christian trappings, which I don't know if necessarily she wants to. Right. Um, but the heavy allegory of, of, you know Christianity that that is over the line of which in the wardrobe. Um, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know what. And, and and you know I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but it's not something I'm excited about seeing, especially not a, not a direct to Netflix film. No, I. You know, so we're also talking about John Cassavetes today, and I don't think we live in an era anymore where these kinds of these kinds of auteurs will take studio jobs to make money to finance another film or take acting roles to finance another film. I don't think that's what they're doing here, right? As much as I would like to say, oh, Sarah Polly's doing this so right, that she can for, go yeah, one make for them, another. One for me kind of yeah, thing, right? and I, that's not what they're doing. And, 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 and that also sort of begs the question, artists like, like Polly, like Gerwig, they have established themselves. Right. I mean, they're not sort of, Oh, I've I've done one small mumblecore movie, <laughs> and now right I got this big shot, and now I've got to do something else to back that up. I mean, G- Gerwig is good, right? She did right, she right. did Lady Bird and and Little Women, and everyone's like these are amazing. And now she's done a, f- a film like Barbie, which look if I don't love all of it, I still like the film. Right? She doesn't need to do Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia. Right? Yeah, and and I can't imagine that like. Yeah, what is what is her next step from there? Because is Netflix driving a, a U-Haul full of money up? I can't imagine that being the case. Three films in, and they gave her those before Barbie. Now, of course, Barbie's been tracking for a while. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure they knew it was going to be a hit. But again, you could have placed anybody and made Barbie make five hundred million dollars. Maybe not opening weekend, and it may not have. But I don't. I don't think like Barbie could have been just like the Lego Movie. 
mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and been this kind of not subversive but a irreverent take on the on the, on the material and still done and everyone everyone i think everyone would have still had the same level of praise i i don't know it, yeah but i think you're right like looking at somebody like castavetis or, or like the people that are um you know that kind of de- invented <laughs> independent cinema right <laughs> Um, especially in that, you know, especially in America, American independent cinema, we tend to grab those people and immediately throw them into major IP work. And then like when it doesn't work out and, or it, it, they, what's left for them to go back to trying to figure out how to not work with a $300 million budget or what have you. Right. Like is Chloe Zhao going to go back and make another, now look. I did not love Nomadland, and I know that I'm, like, one of the handful of people in the world who didn't. Right. But she was never going to have a successful Eternals. She was always going to be sort of put in a box of this is how these stories have to have to be. Now, she put her own sort of visual spin on it, right, <laughs> in that she did things in camera and not just with green screen. Right. And it looked pretty. Right. But— but the story was but, already given to her, right? right? Right, right. She was given a box, and she kind of wrapped the box in a different, different type of paper, right? And it's something like with like Gareth Edwards and like getting stuck with you know Godzilla I, again, and all the, to varying degrees of success. Like I don't, I it's to me that the best example of where it not working out and probably not working out for the for the betterment of the director was Edgar Wright. Edgar <clears throat> Wright being you know leaving Ant Man, which obviously like. I know people can try to defend Peyton Reed and, and those Ant-Man movies, but they're all, they have moments of, moments that are funny. And I like Paul Rudd as much as the next guy. But, I mean, those movies are just middle-of-the-road Marvel bullshit. For Edgar then goes to go back and do Baby Driver and, and mm-hmm. the, theme, the same types of films that he's always been wanting to do. So him kind of, like, realizing that this is not for him and then keeping back and going in and doing the movies that he's always wanted to do and he's been doing for his entire career great good for him i i just like i don't the allure does the allure start to wear off when because you see some of these people being eaten up and churned out and then you know kind of left to the wayside when now they are branded with you can't you know if you've given such a surefire home run like the eternals and you can't make it happen then what you know <laughs> what do you think and it's not this? really your fault and this this i'm going to jump ahead for one brief yeah, second sure. because one of the Cassavetti's second film, which to me isn't really his second film, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of these questions that we're asking, I think, are are really raised in yeah. that movie, yeah. right? With Bobby Darren's character, who is sort of the embodiment of artistic integrity. I don't care if I have to play jazz in a park. I just want to play jazz. I want to play my music. I want to play it my way. I'm not going to do it. And I'll burn this motherfucker down. And I will burn this motherfucker down in order to do it. Right. And, and, and this is the same thing like we're talking about here. And I mean, you could say that Darren's character is, a, is an analog or a stand-in for Cassavetes sure, himself sure. being like, fuck this. Right? Right, right. right. Yeah. But I, it all ties back to like this idea of why are these, why are they doing this for this truckload of cash? They're already famous. Right. Right, and, and it's not like Netflix. I, it's not like Netflix is not getting, especially Bombach, with I mean, money to do, you know, the Meyerwitz stories and, and other independent and white and noise, like, right? And yeah, and lower. I, I don't know what you want to call it, right? This this lower budget, 
you know, not quite high pressure, but also a slightly elevated prestige, especially for streaming networks. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if, if it's sort of like highbrow literature. But I mean, like, take white noise and compare it to something like Squid and the Whale. I mean, like, Squid and the Whale gets more probably uh, praise, but I'm guaranteeing that more people saw white noise just because it showed up on their um, For You page as they went into Netflix, right? So, right. I mean, like, I get why I get why Noah would sign up for a Netflix contract when he probably, they don't probably really care about it, and they're going to give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants to do in regards to the actual movie-making process and the editing and what have you. It's a as marketing long, scheme as long as you, it is. Right, as long as you deliver it under budget and on time, I mean, you're going to be fine. And But it's so final cut, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe something spoke to to Gerwig and to Polly in these, these but I can't, I, I can't imagine that, um, that again, Polly, Gerwig is going from being handcuffed by Mattel, clearly, and then going directly into a, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, for lack of a better description, a Lord of the Rings type series of, you know, young adult science fiction. Um, yeah, like, and like the, you said, with Christian trappings rather than sort of trappings right, of modernity. Right, with, right. And that, so now you, you really can't, I mean, like, again, uh, giving the benefit of the doubt, but I just, I don't, I don't see, this is not going to be some sort of like in your face <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia. Right? And then for, and then, question everything. And then for Polly, like to go from women talking to win the Oscar for women talking and then to go directly into what the fuck are you going to bring? Like, are you going to get a um, David Lowry type ability to play Pete's dragon or mm. Peter Pan and Wendy? Are you going to, I mean, like how, what's the, what's the story that you're going to tell that's going to be different? Because in all honesty of all of the live action remakes of these movies, nothing has been done. That's been out of bounds. And, and mostly they're just Gus Van Sant psycho. They're just shot for shot, right. dead eyed, lifeless, you know, versions of, of, uh, you know, and, and, and yes, the photorealism of Bambi and the fur and of Thumper are going to be fucking amazing. And Flower. <laughs> right, sure, sure. <laughs> Don't forget Don't flower. flower, right, yes. Um, but again, when you, when the, these, these directors, so maybe not Lowry, right, but, but a director like Sarah Polly, she's not necessarily concerned, and I mean to speak for her, right, but she's not necessarily concerned with kind of new filmmaking technologies necessarily. I mean, she's concerned with telling stories and different ways to tell stories. But I mean, if you look at women talking, the color's desaturated, but it's not like, you know, we, we, we built a giant animatronic woman. Right, this is not who's, rotoscoped. I... Well, right. <laughs> right. And so, so there, I mean, I could see if it was like an exercise in craft <laughs> Francis McDormand's in a in a mocap. She's suit. in a mocap suit. <laughs> Can you imagine this guy's in scar grows to thirty five feet and just you know? <laughs> Can you imagine being the director that puts Francis McDormand in a mocap suit? I right, act against this tennis ball. This is a big, huge monster, <laughs> Francis. Arg, arg. <laughs> well, and I know you're scared, Francis. No. Partly, we sound like we're 
you know, 20 year old kids lamenting that our favorite band got on the Twilight soundtrack. But I don't right. feel like it's the same thing. We're playing stadiums now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, there's part of that. But, it, but, and there, but I don't, I feel like, again, I, 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 I was that person for sure. a brief period. I think we all go through that. Uh, we, we all have different aspects of kins. In right. Us. When Buffalo Tom showed up on my so-called life, I'm like, damn it. Come uh, on, it's over. <laughs> this is over. I like both of these things, but not together, man. Not together. <laughs> but but I don't feel like, like, so as wrong as we were about, like, Modest Mouths getting an Apple commercial or whatever. Like, because again, does it does it make them sell out their music, or does it just get wide, bring it to a wider audience? I don't think that Bambi is going to bring a wider audience to women talking. No, right? Because women talking already had a. <laughs> well, and it's not like we're going to go back and revisit Sarah Polly's. Sarah Polly's. <laughs> I know you don't have to kick the table over. Pissed. <laughs> we're not going to go back. Like kids who are going to watch Bambi live action are not going to go revisit Sarah Polly's. Catalog, right? right. Like, oh, my, this, I really wait, <laughs> wait, this is the woman who did Bambi, this woman talking movie? Oh, my God. I have to sit and watch this right now. <laughs> right. The it's double, it's double pretty much the same story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway right, let's, 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 get, into, let's you, get into these fucking movies. Would you like, talk about Barbie? Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned. Just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights. Diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. Yeah. You guys ever think about dying? When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower Ooh. falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground. <gasps> Flat feet! What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, okay? Do it again. Closer I am to fine. Closer I am to fine. I'm coming with you. Okay. Wow, this is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! We haven't played with Barbie since we were like five years old. Oh. No one rests until this doll is back in a box. Even if nobody else sings Humans only have one ending. Get that Barbie! Ideas live forever. No, 
I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. Is Bobby if you still in doubt? For those of you who haven't seen it, which I guess is just pretty much nobody at this point, and by the time this comes out, oh, really yeah. no one will have right. no one will have not seen it. Right. Uh, Barbie, <laughs> and with our attention spans, this will be moot anyway. Right, right. Barbie, uh, you know, played by Margot Robbie, is in a a parallel world to ours, uh, which evidently has a link to the world uh, through Southern California, through Los Angeles. Which made me wonder, like, and again, I'm not the right audience for this because then I start, I start pulling apart all of these threads. Mm. So there's not like all of the worldwide Barbies go through Southern California, right? There's not. Is there a Barbie Land? Because when they show Barbie Land, Barbie Land has all of the. It it does know about all of the continents, basically, in all the countries. So like, this is interesting though because they never, but it's all like one country. Right, right. So Barbie Land is its own thing. So like, there is no Barbie Land. There's no Southeast Thailand. Asia. Right, right. Yeah, there's no Thailand Barbie Land. Right. right. No China Barbie Lander. Right. Um, there's just one. Everyone's represented and, in Barbie Land. And so but. Barbie starts having existential an existential crisis. Uh, she starts thinking about death. Her body starts to fall apart. I guess if you want to characterize it as she gets cellulite and her arches drop. And they and they do point that out. I mean, right, and that right. was yeah. Helen Mirren does go. Uh, we realize Margot Robbie is not <laughs> <laughs> right, and so uh, basically, what happens is is that you know all of the Barbies are are played. They have real life uh, or toy counterparts in the real world, uh, and that when they are able to, I guess, have some sort of like emotional connection to the girls that are playing with them, although they don't really know that who's out there. And so one of the Barbies starts to uh, one of the Barbies in the real world. Is being played with and, and that person who's playing with them um has an existential crisis of their own and they're having their own personal problems and that causes the barbie and it's happened before it's happened with kins it's happened with i mean mm -hmm. but but they don't really like this would another thing that i kind of pulled apart like this would seem to happen all of the time right 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 barbie sets up and i i, I commend Gerwig for doing I think the best that she could possibly do well I say that I, I, I think to, I commend Gerwig with doing as well as she did given the fact that this is a biopic picture I, I mean this is you can't tell this story and have Mattel be over it. right because they're financing it and they're yeah. <laughs> right and the and they're gonna allow you to poke fun at Midge and and growing up Barbie with the boobs that grow and like video yeah. Barbie they're gonna make they're gonna allow you to make fun of their past mistakes but very, very narrow. And like they did take the piss a little bit of the woman who, you know, Ruth, who ends up was the inventor of Barbie. Oh, right. And she's like, you know, about how she did some tax evasion stuff. But and it's got all kind out of, of the like company. very tongue in cheek, right? And it's also very like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We, it's also a, a kind of faux self flagellation, right? right? Look at us. We're kind of bad and we're trying to be better. And it's like, no, you're really not. Though. Right. <laughs> right. And so Barbie has to go and she has to, so the, the thought process is in Barbie land is that she can either go into the real world and, um, help this person overcome their own crisis. So everything can go back to normal in Barbie land. Um, and that's what happens essentially. That's the, yeah, and I mean, that's, that's the, story. the inciting event. Uh, and then when she gets there, she meets the girl that she thinks is playing with, that is the owner of her Barbie toys, which turns out she's not. It ends up being her mother. Um, and her mother is a single mom. Oh, no, she's not a single mom. 
Uh, her mother is just having a crisis of her own. As as and again, this is where Barbie kind of like falls on this idea of, and it, it feels like we're Barbie's patting itself on the back a lot of the time. Where all right, yeah, we get that. It's, this is twenty twenty three, right? This is not nineteen. I mean, this is not nineteen sixty, where we're trying to convince a. And I'm not saying that the patriarchy doesn't exist and these problems don't exist, but I'm saying that this idea of women struggling mm-hmm. and this idea mm-hmm. of like this, that whole uh, monologue that America has uh, where she goes off and says, you know, you're, you're, you try to be this and, and it's, it's never good enough. And, and like, we got to yeah. do this. We also it's a lose lose speech, right? And it's fine. But I do think that the, that the, um, that it, I do think it's just a little too on the nose for, for, this idea of like, oh, this is a huge women empowerment. I, I don't know if that really is true. I think if you start scratching under the surface of this, just laying these out, like there's some really poignant and like touching moments in this movie where, you know, when she gets to the real when So everything in Barbie land is perfect, right? I mean, like and women, to, women run everything. Women run this everything. Is, they're, they're all the jobs. Ken's are basically superfluous. They're they go off and there's and this, superficial. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And so they have no jobs, they don't really do anything, and they don't really know how to interact with the Barbies, which again brings up an entirely different problem that we'll touch on in, I'll mm-hmm. touch on in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets to the real world, and the, one of the first things she does when her and Ken split apart is that she sits down at this bus stop and looks over and she sees this old woman. Now, Barbies don't age, so she looks over there and like almost with tears in her eyes, and that's what that was the Barbara, that was the actual person, that was the Ruth's daughter who was... That was who Barbie was named after. Right. The actress or the person that was there. And she just looks over at her and she says, you're beautiful. And the the lady comes back and she says, I know. I mean, it's a really nice kind of moment, especially as you're first getting into the real world. And Barbie's kind of realizing it's a nice opening moment. And Robbie is phenomenal. Oh, she's she's amazing. Right. Was she, has she been nominated for an Oscar once or twice? I don't know. All right. Well, at least... She should. She should for this. Well, I don't remember what, like, she was nominated for the, come on, the Tarantino film. The that I can't remember. Hollywood? Yeah, wasn't she nominated for that? Yeah, I think so. Right? Um, she wasn't nominated for Babylon. Right. No, right, okay. No, nothing was nominated so. for Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, not for I'm just not thinking, for I'm just thinking of sort of her bigger roles and, and going through that, but... but Anyway, I mean, I'm sure I could find right, out, I but I'm just lazy. She wouldn't um, have gotten anything for Wolf of Wall Street. That would but, have been too. But she should for this because, and she has the hardest job in this film. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, from an acting standpoint, because it's so tough what she has to do. She has to be funny. I mean, very much like America Ferrera's speech, right? right? She has to do all these things, but not too much. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you have to be funny and sincere and ironic and sort of self-aware and. A little mean, but but again, like not too much. I think Ferrera is really good in this too. I I, I I think they give Sasha a little bit of a short shrift, and and because once you introduce a Mary, I don't know Sasha's real name. Uh, that was the daughter, right? So, <laughs> and I, um, so so we get there. We get to the real world. Going back to the plot, we get to the real world, and people are leering at Barbie, and then they start making all this kind of meta commentary about how. Barbie, and and this is kind of where I think Barbie does it well, right? This idea of like we're they're aliens in our world, and Barbie's mm-hmm. being stared at, and they're, of course they're wearing day glow neon, um, you know, <laughs> spandex. Uh, well, they're on Venice Beach though, too. True, so. true, true. And they're skating together, 
And so people are looking at Barbie and people are looking at Ken and Ken for the first time is like, oh, this, this feels empowering. And I, I get the exact opposite feeling of Barbie who like, I, it feels like there's a lot of violence attached to all of this. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's where Girl Rig is really able to kind of like put a pen, yeah, put a finger on like a lot of what, and what really what kind of the more progressive things that are out there. Cause again, you don't really see it. There's not, but I mean like this idea this inner, like her, constantly worried about all well it's obviously new to her but like all of this and how it's coming across and then versus how it's coming across to kim so they get arrested for stealing clothes because they don't know how to make pay for anything there's a there's a <laughs> relatively funny comment about how they don't have genitalia but i mean that, that that's, that's really never really touched upon actually um and like because and that was a pretty funny line actually where the, where she's at the um you know where they go to the She's being catcalled by essentially construction workers. Well, because because remember, construction crews and Barbie Land are oh, all, all females. Right. She's like, I know a safe space. Construction crew, <laughs> let me go there. Right, right, right. And she's like, well, regardless of what you want and what you're saying, like we, none of us have. A, I don't have a vagina. He doesn't have, have a penis. penis. Like yeah. it's like we have no. It's like, and they're like, nah, I don't care. That's not <laughs> yeah, a, no, all right, <laughs> right. It's not a problem. <laughs> So Ken goes off and discovers the patriarchy, essentially. And he does it in the worst way possible, like by watching, by watching 80s action films and, and coming across. Like, and reading books on trucks. Right, yeah. reading books on trucks and horses and things like that. Right, And he's like watching things like happen around him where all he sees is men making decisions and doing things. And he's like, oh. Or people are commenting, you know, positively on his dress and are paying attention to him, which never happens. Right, right. right. And, and, and Barbie's and, don't. Don't pay attention to the Kins at all. Um, so we get so Barbie ends up finding the little, you know, the little girl. She's in she's in junior high, I guess, at this point. Um, and she's painted immediately to be like this mean girl. Mm-hmm. But in reality, she's pretty well put together in regards right. to like she's like so she kind of lays out the 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 current conceit. And I guess it's not necessarily current. I mean, it's like it's been this has been ongoing for a while. Of where Barbie is a detriment to society. We haven't played with Barbies in forever, and it wasn't ever about empowerment. It was about body issues and mm-hmm. and and uh, you know eating disorders and 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 so we threw we basically thrown you away, and I don't play with you anymore. They never do anything with that. No. You know that's the that was one of the th- kind of the disappointing things about the movie is that it gets sets so much up. It paints itself into way many, way too many corners, mm-hmm. but it sets up this conceit of what does Barbie mean to a world today where we have uh, gender fluidity and we have kids that are growing up uh, in this kind of new era of of identity, and also yeah, for a, for a nineteen fifties toy with wildly disproportionate uh you know beauty standards and obviously even body standards i mean if you like if you i I know it was done a while back if you actually put barbie as a real life human she's like this grotesque like giraffe kind of like (laughs) terrible like it's like the dimensions don't add up (laughs) they don't work um like what does this toy that's so desperately trying to be empowerment but also trying to be a capitalist version and trying to make money off of empowerment and at times doing it very very poorly you know you go into barbie land right and every, there's all different kinds of barbies and body shapes there's a transgender barbie that shit doesn't exist in the real life wait right? was there a transgender barbie because i didn't harry catch... harry neff is was the so uh dr okay. barbie okay was a transgender okay. Barbie. okay 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 um and and it's never really mentioned or pointed out but harry neff is a is, right yeah right so. right um so, but I, I so i think 
since we brought that up, it's important to mention that Margot Robbie, her Barbie is stereotypical Barbie. Sure, right. And I think Gerwig is, Gerwig is trying to do a lot of work with that, right? With that, like, this is stereotypical Barbie. This isn't Dr. Barbie. This isn't so-and-so Barbie. It's like <laughs> the OG, right? Blonde hair, gorgeous looks, all of that. Right. But but again, right, there is nothing else. And I I, I think I wanted even more variety in Barbie land with, with especially with body shapes. Right. Um, I mean, everyone still was kind of perfect in my, for the most part. Right? Yeah. I mean, but again, even then, it's I think it's kind of disingenuous because as much as they go back to it and, and, and all of the kind of meta commentary about the, 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 the clothing and, you know, the branding and mm-hmm. like how they stopped the movie down. And I, and I think all that stuff is clever, but I do think it's disingenuous that we're, we're, we're in we're having a movie buy it from Mattel and you're having a. <laughs> Uh, you know, a Barbie that in the real world would be not a two, right? Right. That we, that I don't know. I mean, I, I've never seen a Barbie that is, that would wear clothing that would be, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to characterize it necessarily, but it wouldn't be like some stick thin Barbie. And I get right. that again, they're trying to make money and there's probably a mold <laughs> like, and there's mass production and these things are made by uh, I'm sure third world children that that are that are pumping these things out that never get to play with Barbie themselves. But I do think that the I, that the Mattel's idea of an ideal Barbie world where women run everything and that there's all different kinds and colors of Barbie doesn't really exist. And I think that that could again, this is the problem with biopics that are being put on by the people who. And again, I know this she's not a real person, right? But I mean. <laughs> This is, I, I get No, that. but it is, like but, it, but like you said, it, it, is a, it is a product being advertised as a thing of empowerment. And so we are, in a way, sort of attaching, uh, we're anthropomorphizing Barbie. Right. Right. As we play with Barbie, right. Or as we like, oh, I have Supreme Court Justice Barbie. That sort of attaches, right. That kind of imaginative play attaches then like a personhood onto that toy itself. So, right. And, and, and so anytime that we do these, these biopics that, that are, that are put on by living entities, like straight out of Compton is like the one that comes to mind the mm-hmm. most right now. Uh, but, and I liked straight out of Compton just mainly because it spoke to a, a point in time in my life as well. But I mean, like, there's a lot that's left on the table. You know, you don't talk about Dre beating D Brown. I mean, like you don't right, talk about, right. you don't talk about JJ fad leading the way and like, and like basically greasing the skids for, um, you know, that record company ruthless to be able to sell mm-hmm. straight to Compton. So if it wasn't for the success of JJ fad, Trader Compton wouldn't have come out. They wouldn't be able to do it. And so like, there's all this stuff that, that gets swept under the rug that they don't want to tell. And, you know, okay. So then they throw certain things that are bad, like this whole, and so, the, and, and and Barbie does the same thing. But like in Straight Outta Compton, you're like, well, there's some anti-Semitism that that they obviously speak to. But the black community in the '90s didn't give a shit about the anti-Semitism because they didn't really understand it, right? I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't part of their growing up. It wasn't part of the so this idea of like we can we can show you and give you a mea culpa on the very light stuff, but the real problems that are underlying and the real kind of dirt and grime that we could be showing that could make this movie next fucking level and like. Mm-hmm, really expose mm-hmm. us as like shit man yeah we we've all got I mean, like it could actually be worthwhile you don't do anything with it and so in this case you've got this idea and like so and and the barbie at this point just plays lip service to it you know it, where they've got an all-male you know uh executive staff 
Um, and and of course, you know, it's played by Will Ferrell and who's buffoonish and it's 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 fine. I mean, I like the playtime scene where they're running through the um, you know through the uh, offices and like I think Greta Gerwig is a great student of film. Yeah, like, and and so like she knows what she's doing, um, and I think she's funny and Bombach is funny and and but I think this movie tries to do so much, and I think th- I think there was so much pressure put on Gerwig to say you got to make this like this has got to be a speaking for women for generations and generations and generations. And they introduce a lot of stuff, but they don't ever really follow anything up. And the things that they do follow up, which is basically, okay, we're going to give, we're going to give women a voice. I don't know if that voice was necessary to give in this movie. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're saying anything new. Right. I guess is the question I have. Right. And and then there's, and again, I know this is not a problem that we can necessarily solve. Right. I mean, like, immediately with, with in, a, in a in a 90 minute whatever long however long it is in, in, a, in a toy movie right yeah. i don't expect barbie to solve the patriarchy well, and in fact the movie takes away their voices and then gives it back well which right. i find right. which so, i find so, a strange so while while barbie's trying to help out in the real world ken has taken the patriarchy and gone back to barbie land and turned it into kingdom and of course, it's as silly and as dopey as you really, I, as you would think it would be. It's basically if, like I said, if Canon Films threw up all over Barbie Land, this is what it would be. <laughs> and it's funny. There, I mean, and and so then Barbie's got to get Barbie's got to get back to Barbie Land and make things everything straight in Barbie Land. Um, and then that becomes, I think the, the the, I was thinking about this too, like the way that they do that, the way that the Barbies take over. And and get Barbie Land back is that they keep the Kins from voting. There's a, I think it's a fucked up message. Well, but also like the Kins basically pulled a January sixth. Sure. So, but still, yeah. This idea I, I know that, that, that gonna, was like this idea that we're going to subvert democracy on either side of yeah. it is kind of fucked. Right. Right. I do like what they did with sort of turning the patriarchy on itself right where it almost ate itself where like you know men are so scared of other men right that they will like destroy everything around them that they built i like that but i just i just don't know why i don't know why ken ever needed to have that kind of agency in this film right i mean why, why i mean what would have been and look i'm not here to tell greta gerwig how to make movies but like <laughs> but like i why wasn't this a Barbie adventure movie and Ken is the stupid sidekick? Right. I mean, I, right. I, why, I, I, why did you? De- so if because then it becomes almost like Ken's movie. Right. And, and, and if the patriarchy is wrong on this side of the in the real world, the matriarchy has to be just as wrong in Barbie land. Right. I, 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 because otherwise what you're saying is and like, it's almost worse because Barbie's completely devalue Ken. There's not even, there's not even sort of any sort of like level of equality. And you didn't need to paint yourself into that corner. You could have, like you said, you could have let Ken be Scooby-Doo. Like you don't, right. need, you don't need to, like you said, you don't need to tell Ken's story. And I know it leads to a lot of in jokes, like the, the Matchbox 20s. And, <laughs> right. and those are right. funny moments. Right. Really, like, when they're all sitting around on the beach and they're all singing push <laughs> and uh, <laughs> all playing guitar. Right. And they're all at, trying to get kisses. At them. <laughs> guitar at you <laughs> and there's and and the the mansplaining sections of it all and like i mean like gosling's perfect for this right I and mean, right. he's really really good at the 
Casa, the Mojo Casa Dojo, or Casa Mo- Mojo, Mojo, Mojo Dojo, Dojo Casa, House. Casa House, and Brewski Beers. Brewski Beers. So I mean, there's like I think that, I think the the movie kind of lulls us to sleep in a lot of ways because there's so much like little inside jokes. Mm. The 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 Godfather pieces. Like and, I miss the pavement and, joke, right? And, I mean, <laughs> right, right. I'm the, very sad about that. Stephen Malcolm's joke. Well, and I, and I like that. Like we we watch these kids do that, and we all. I think as as men, especially men of certain ilk, we all recognize a part of ourselves in that. We hope we're not like that big of a douchebag, but like, you know, we have things that we're excited about and we talk to people about. I mean, that's, yeah. right. this isn't a podcast hosted by two trees, but it's well, <laughs> true. <laughs> and it's, and it's, you know, you go back to the your January 6th comment. In reality, what happens, I think, again, there's so many, like, ideas that they throw out. Once Barbie land becomes kingdom, then the women start losing their literal, I mean, losing their minds. Yeah. So they, they, I mean, it's not like, it's not like the kins are actively brainwashing them. They're just, they're, they're falling into a trapping of what the kins want from them. Mm -hmm. And so it's. Almost, I don't know what that message is saying. I really don't. I know. Well, that's what that. I mean, I think one of my comments to you was like, "This feels like a movie of sort of two different ideas, sort of smashed together." Because I, I mean, on one hand, I think that they're trying to play this up, right? They're like, "Look how ridiculous these kins are," but it doesn't actually work that way, right? right. It, right. It, 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 that like that Patriot level of is... irony doesn't sort of go over the top enough. Right. To make it like, oh, because I'm mean, here where I'm like, I don't get that. Why do this? And the patriarchy here is active. Right. right? It is an right. active. Right. So the, the fact that, and you can make the argument that in Barbie land, the matriarchy is active as well, but they don't have to, because, but they haven't reached the stage where kins are demand. And again, I know it's a fucking toy land, so I get it. But the kins aren't demanding equality, right? They're enough. They're enamored enough with the Barbies and they're. And, and their lives, but still, okay, so their lives are good enough, so they're they're okay with being a, a suppressed voice and a completely ignored. I don't, I just, it feels but, like someone like Gerwig and Bombach would have been able to, like, understand what they're, I mean, I, and again, I'm not saying that they don't understand, but, like, understand the implications of what they're what they're putting out there. And it seems so weird to me that there's so much going on here that is, like you said, you can't, if you lift up the covers, it, all of this falls apart. Right. I mean, are they trying to say, like, look, the way these kins are, are the way that we see most women feel and acting in I, the real world? I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't either. And again, it's because, again, once you get to the real world, like the kins. But why not solve patriarchy in the real world? Not in Barbie land. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the movie. Like, why not? Why not confront patriarchy in the real world? Right. They never do. Yeah, no. And then they don't, and they and they kind of accept the matriarchy as they go back to Barbie land. Like this, so again, the idea here is that, okay, all we've really done for the Kins, and again, I hate to sound like Proud Boys. I, I hate to have, because, and I know we're not having the same conversation, but I hate to tear right. it apart from a male perspective. Well, it's, right. But, but to come back, all you've really done is let Kins know that they don't need to require the adoration of the Barbies, which is where the Kins are in the beginning of the movie. But they don't really elevate them. There's no equality now at the end in Barbie land. And I get it. It's called Barbie land, right? But right. but you're right. I mean, like, there's no... As much as Robbie goes over to the real world and sees the violence and the threats 
and the uncomfortableness and the unease, she still just focuses on herself. And okay, that's fine. That is a fine movie to have. That is a fine movie to have for where a Barbie realizes that there's more to life than Barbie land and that there's 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 beauty in there's beauty in, in aging and there's beauty in mm-hmm. pain and there's mm-hmm. beauty in not being perfect. Mm-hmm. That is a fucking great message. Yeah. And you kind of get there because by the time that she decides to 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 become a you know a Pinocchio, right? She's now right, she's a real life right. girl and she gets a vagina, which is a funny moment. And that's kind of a nice, like it's it's cool. Yeah. Like I get that. Um but you introduce so much other heavy shit. Like I don't know. You could have been, all right, this is empowering, and it is a Robbie story to realize that there is beauty in what we don't consider beautiful. And there's beauty in the harshness of realities yeah. of life. And to let and to, to kind of bridge that gap. It, it's not a new story to tell, but okay. But it is with a Barbie doll. Right. I mean, right. I mean, look, there are no new stories. <laughs> there are new There's ways to new there, podcasts. There, are, <laughs> there are new ways to do a podcast. <laughs> but so like, I, I really worry. And I put this kind of like in quotes, but I was like, worry? Is that the right word? That by the end of this film, what we get is a version of can't we all just get along? Yeah. And and I worry again that Margot Robbie's character becomes manic pixie Barbie. Yeah. Right? Because she's there to tell Ryan Gosling, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to be like this. It's okay to cry. And I'm like, and why and why is she trying why does she need to fix him like we've seen in all these other films? And so I think that I mean <laughs> your your proud boy comment, I think one of the things we're reacting to is that it's not feminist enough. Right. That it's not subversive enough in that way. Yeah, no, and 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 even that moment, right? Even the moment of, hey, Ken, it's okay. It's okay to have emotions, it's okay to doubt yourself. You don't have to be this ripped fucking god, right? It's done to market her. I know. And they make that look very clear. I mean, like, so immediately I can go out and buy a $60 fuzzy I'm Knuff hoodie. I know. I know. And look, I, it's, it's clever. I get, I like, I like the whole, but it works better if Ken says it, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, lamenting this is a, like, this is not really a kid's movie though. Like, I can't imagine little girls from, no, like, from like four to those jokes are not right. I mean, like, like yeah, they're not going to get a pavement joke, and they're not going to they're not going to know what Godfather is, right? And those are really or Robert Evans, moments. right? right. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, in the studio system in the seventies. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I feel like I, yeah, little girls from from four to eleven are going to be bored out of their fucking minds with this movie. Aside from the visuals of being kind of cool, and, like, and I think I think Barbie Land is is utter brilliance. The way it's constructed, the way things happen there, I think that is brilliant. And I wonder if we ever had to leave. I mean, this is. I mean, I keep right. saying no, this I'm like two you. different ideas, yeah. but like we're in two different worlds, and I think that's a detriment to the film. Yeah. Because the the having Kate McKinnon be weird Barbie and like and having her be the wise old sage kind of Wizard of Oz type to let her know she needs to go on. And like, yeah, had Barbie solved, I don't know, does it sound is it is it patronizing in, in that sense to have Barbie solved the problems of or to expose this idea? 
like what's the I guess it, it just has to be where Barbie embraces the the you know human you know flaws I guess in that case because you can't like have then Barbie correct the the matriarchy in Barbie Land. Um, I no, don't know. but if if but there's again, some right. kind Ken, of like, but Ken is Ken. Sh- you should have jettisoned Alan and let Ken just be Alan. Alan be this where because Alan is. I mean, Sarah's really good in this too. But like, yeah. Um, but this idea of Ken is, you know, Ken is a is a supporter of Barbie. Right. Mm-hmm. He's always been a secondary character. Mm-hmm. This. And so have him lift her up and be the kind of Jiminy Cricket to Barbie's Pinocchio. And if, and if, right. And if they're trying to make Ken into an incel, I mean, again, why? Because that takes over the narrative. Right, right. I mean, you've got to fix that problem in addition to the other problems. Right. right. I mean, because he kind of comes off as like, I want to kiss and can never get a kiss, right? I want to spend the night, every night's girl night. You know, he's just like, he's so sort of angry about all that. And so he comes off as this kind of incel type character. But but why do that? Because then again, like all of that goes back to him and now it's his story and we're focusing on Ken. Yeah, and... And it's just not funny enough then to play up or play for laughs. Right. Like and, it you, doesn't... And, and you and you focus so much on the the inner turmoil. I I get the idea that kins are going to fight with one another and men fight with one another. And I really like the the dialogue or the monologue of of uh, when they, when they're starting to go to war and they're like how are we going to know who to go war with? we go to war with everybody. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't like we'll know. We'll know they're not they're not us. Like, I, I just I just I love that that I whole just, when they're all sitting in the dream houses together and they're just like we'll just go to war with everybody. Just, with everybody, we'll fight we'll fight them all. We'll fight ourselves. They're not us. I thought Simu Lu was really good too. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, there's 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 enough here to make this movie enjoyable. I just don't think that it is. I don't know if this is a pedestal type movie that we're going to be looking at and going. Right. Holy shit! This guy, this solved it all. I mean, like, and I know that no movie's going to do that, but I mean, like, I don't know if this movie solved its own problems that it sets up. It, 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 yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have around this film, and I think that's what you know movies should do, and that's what art should do is give us a platform to have a conversation. But man, it's just yeah, there's there's a lot going on, and none of it really sticks, and none of it really twists either so. well and i think it's one of those movies where i think like and i don't want to accuse gerwig of doing this but i think it's it's easy to not look under the covers yeah i mean yeah. so it's one of those things where it's like oh you don't like you know the american flag or ice cream or puppy dogs like if i <laughs> like i told you women have problems like i i stated the problem in very succinctly in a very impassioned way how dare you question my like now you're a kin like, right? right or well, now you're will ferrell or right and and so i think it's unfair to to not be able to criticize this movie and i think but i do think this movie's kind of tried to insulate itself in a way where it's hard to criticize it because of well we we need a we need a feminine voice and we need yeah, a, we need which... a, and and to that degree kudos to fucking mattel because I mean, like from a, like from a capitalist perspective, does I put this spin on it? Now Barbie's you can reimage and 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 reshape and reframe Barbie. Again, you don't address anything that Sasha actually says in the story. Right, I know. We put these away because they were harmful to us. Not just not just we grew outgrew the toys. That Barbie was actually harmful to a generation of girls. 
okay, now she's the embodiment of female power again, but also female vulnerability and that that's okay. And now we're, I mean, like, Fuck you to a certain extent. I mean, like, I don't know, man. It's yeah, just... the, I want to make sure the listeners know that I believe the kudos was a cynical kudos. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, like, part of me, like, I, 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 I appreciate evil in, its, in, in some of its forms. Like, well, I mean, like, some, yes, you have to sort of tip your hat to. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's a. Uh, if if Mattel was able to take an indie female director and 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 fool her into creating a film that repositions in in, in <laughs> their much maligned toy mm-hmm. without having to do anything besides throw about a hundred million dollars behind a movie. Man, I mean like but, but this was and this this goes back to my comment about the kind of like faux self-flagellation. I mean, because they're going to come off as looking to a lot of people like good guys. Right, right. right? Oh, look, at Mattel let her do this. Mattel let her. And I'm like, Mattel's coming off pretty, pretty good here, right? They're, they're, yeah, they're no saving th- a lot of face. And they know that they're going to be raking in, right, profits from merchandise oh, here. for sure. For, for sure. I mean, shit, they already are. They, I know. Much, like, when did they, they ever sold, stop? How much they sold just pre-movie so you would go and dressed as, you know, in pink? And how many Kenuff uh, hoodies did they sell? I am Kenuff. You know what? There's a don't buy the Kenuff sweatshirt. Buy a sweatshirt from a young man named Demetrius Harmon called You Matter. Okay? DemetriusHarmon.com. Go get your You Matter hoodies. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he hears that and, like, plugs it. No, Anyway. Um, All right, yeah. enough about Barbie. Yeah. I mean, like I, like I said, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I laughed quite a bit. I mean, there were moments where I was guffawing. So I do think the gloss and the glitter work. But I just don't, I just don't think it is as subversive or progressive, nor do I think it, it answers all the questions that it asks any, in any sort of succinct way. And I think, we for, I think we ignore all of that because the gloss and the glitter. And right. we don't want to be seen as these fucking toxic masculine assholes who are going to tear down a movie that's intended to bring people. Right. Right. But I do think along with that, I'll speak for you. I think we had high expectations for this. Oh, for sure. I was super excited to see this film. I was super excited. I was super excited to see girl get attached to this film. And I think, I don't know were my expectations unfair. And is that why I had this reaction? I enjoyed it. I just wanted to like it more. Right. You know? I mean, well, and again, I wanted it to be... I, I just think this, this this faux seriousness that we're placing on it is unwarranted. Yeah. Like, even even my wife came out of it. She's like, I just, it just felt like uh, they're, they're not telling me anything new. Yeah, my partner didn't care I mean, It was just like... I mean, like, I, yeah. And, and she was like, you know, we all, we all like to see flashy lights in front of us. And sometimes... But I mean, like... If that's all that movie is, okay, fine, but it's not intended. That's not what it's intended to do, and that's not what people are saying about it. And I fully suspect Barbie to be nominated for Best Picture. I really do. Hmm. I, 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 hmm. I think it because I think it has that. I mean, let's put a bet on it and see if it does. But no, I, I because I, it seems like it's it's. I don't think it'll win, but I do think that it will grab a nom, and I do think it probably will. I mean, I do think Robbie will grab a nom as well. Yeah, I, well, I think and that Barbie, would be a shame if she didn't. Yeah, I think but, Barbie will probably lose to this next film that we're going to talk about. <laughs> I think Killers of the Flower Moon have something to say about that. Okay, but, um, I think it's, okay. I think it's a two horse race at okay. this point. Okay, well, I mean, we kind of know my my eye roll of Scorsese. 
I just, I just, I mean, he's like this fucking golden calf that everyone just holds up. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, look, he, I did not enjoy The Irishman. No, the Irishman. Was <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know the last Scorsese film. I was like, oh, this is. I really this enjoyed Wolf of Wall Street. I, 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 okay. I liked, I, and I like, I know The Departed is not his best work. But I find that, like I said before, I find that movie. It's um, and I think I have said the same thing. It is eminently watchable. Right. I don't think it's all that great, but it's watchable. <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean, but I think Scorsese has this in common with someone like Christopher Nolan, right? Who's Oppenheimer? We're getting ready to talk about where, and I'm not putting you in this camp, <laughs> but where certain people will just kind of lose their minds over new films by these guys, right? 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 And it doesn't matter. They just can do no wrong. I will say I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm excited about a new, uh, either one of them, to be honest. But I don't, but again, there's a Gangs of New York still that, that exists for, for or, you know, there's, it's not like Scorsese's got a perfect batting record. Right. And, and but but, but, I, but like, I feel like that's how we treat him. It's like, he's just, he's this sainted. Well, he's the only thing we've really got at this point to, I mean, like you, you ha, I mean, like Spielberg, Scorsese, Nolan, they're really, who else? I mean, like mm. Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't get it. Like, there's no other huge scale, like Kubrick's dead. There's no other huge scale, I mean, filmmaker at the moment that commands, that can, well, I guess Cameron to a certain extent, but that's but that's yeah, more populist that's, than it is yeah. more art house. Um, but Spielberg is hugely popular. True, but I mean, people give, but he also bounces back and forth. So as much as I didn't really care for Meet the Fablemans, like, you, you still give him, okay, well, that was his arty film right mm, that's not mm -hmm. his and he still does bridge of spies and bfg and these things that are kind of like <clears throat> but yeah i mean like the, those are the i think are the big three at the moment that and again and scorsese's on his way out i mean like it's leon so then it, i don't think he has many more right, of, right. Of, i'm wondering where the rolling stones needle drop is going to fall in <laughs> killers of the flower moon <laughs> <laughs> There's just going to be a huge, like, uh... <laughs> Sorry. Like, you can kick Murphy's in uh, The Departed. No, sure, 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 sure. I have not gone back to The Irishman since I first, like, stumbled through the entire three-hour. And see, that's the real problem with, like... Like, again, going back to people who are given carte blanche to do shit for Netflix, like, yeah, it's fine to give... But, I mean, like... And I guess you're not going to tell Scorsese, but I mean, if you told him he had to do this as a theatrical release and it can't be fucking 800 years long, he would have cut some shit out. Like, yeah. I mean, like it, he would have, he knows how to work within the system. Right. Um, and I know Killers of the Flower Moon is probably going to be three hours long, if not, you know, and then so uh, at this point, there is no other Anderson to a very small population. Uh, so these are like event films. directors. That's right. kind of what we're right. saying, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, and, and then everything else is is property, right? I mean, everything else is just, you know, oh, we've got to get excited about, oh, and no one is anymore. But I mean, like, we've got to get excited about because it's so overpopulated, like Marvel or... or. Uh, did you see um, the new trailer for D-double-G's horseshit Exorcist, Exorcist yeah. beginning trilogy? Yeah. So, all right, let me, let me lay it out for you, man. <laughs> like, wait, just listen. Right, so the exorcist had one little girl that was possessed. So hear me out. Two little girls. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Mind blown. Fuck it. Two fucking girls? Why didn't we ever think of this before? Double trouble. I, 
I, I, I saw people losing their shit. I was just like, this looks like shit. This I'm looks like, like if, I, and it's, it's, it's really funny to me that they didn't ever in the trailer say from the minds of Halloween. Ends. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if it was from, from the team that brought you all the real girls <laughs> and Prince Avalanche. <laughs> Comes a new haunting story. <laughs> and you just hear Paul Rudd go, how do you not know how to gut a fish? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, boy. You loved your highness. <laughs> Didn't you? Right. Didn't you? Remember how much you enjoyed the sitter? <laughs> From the minds that brought you. <laughs> that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Let's all right. let's talk about Oppenheimer. We imagine a future. Imaginings horrify us. They won't fear it until they understand it. And they won't understand it until they've used it. Take you only so far. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon. But we have no choice. throw a note on Nolan's films. And I want to acknowledge this, right? That I think it's fair to say that all of his films deal, deal with in some way, men of a certain ilk kind of making their way through the world, often feeling alienated and are confronted with these choices or a big choice. There's also in most, maybe not all, but a question of greatness to varying degree, surrounding these men. I also think his movies are about the very act of filmmaking. Yeah. This film is, I don't think, any different than that. Right? And, and it, if anything, maybe it's a kind of culmination of these ideas. And, and it's also a culmination of Nolan's inability to use women in film. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. He has no man. idea how, like, to, how to use women. Is, does he, has he seen a woman? Yes. Like someone who probably he, like should be working he, with Gerwig. Uh, 
I mean, he has these, you know, in other films, it's a dead wife. I mean, quite literally, you've got right. like Inception, there's a dead wife. Memento, there's a dead wife. And here we have sort of a dead mistress, but but these women are always, I don't, well, I don't and, know. Well, and like the, the and so I just. Interstellar, the wife's dead. Right, <laughs> like and, inter- all... and Interstellar, the, the, the reason <clears throat> I nearly threw up at the end of Interstellar is because he handles the emotional part of that. And I know that there, there. I know that again, like you said, there are people who, for no one, can do no wrong. Right. I fucking hated Interstellar. I did too. And and like and so, but that whole love is what brings us together. Bullshit. Like I was just like, this is a problem in this film too. Oh, absolutely. He can be so hammy and so melodramatic and so cheesy. Is I I look. Let me just. I really enjoyed this movie. I really me too. really did. I think the spectacle, I think there's nobody who's really matching him on a technical level these days. No. And I know people complain about the sound mix and this doesn't have that problem. But like, I don't think from a from a perspective of someone who just fucking knows how to put together a beautiful goddamn film. No one is it right now. No one is it. I mean, especially from a practical perspective, because, right, you're not talking about someone like Cameron who can make shit look good on a computer. I mean, he's basically making computer right. games, right? Right. But from a perspective of sitting in a theater and watching this play out. I think there's no one is at the top of the game right now. Um, I do think this probably will win Best Picture. I, um, do I, I don't do think too. I don't think he'll. I think Martin. I think Scorsese's gotten his, and I think that'll be the end of that. So I I seeing this in seventy millimeters, seeing it in IMAX. I think you know, and the opening scene where uh, Murphy's head is you know on this. It's just it's just like doing like I don't think people truly understand. I know cinephiles probably do, but truly understanding to get to, that's that close-up of a face and an IMAX is fucking impossible. They had to make cameras. Right, or they had to make lenses. They had to, like, design specific lenses to do Um, that. It's, it, it is, this, I, you know, I kept going back, and this reminded me a lot of There Will Be Blood, and, you know, this felt Mm, like mm -hmm. his There Will Be Blood. Um, And I do think this, I, I, I think he's, you know, from a perspective of the flaws of this film, I think he's a little too in love with Oppenheimer to really, truly show, um, Sure. I think that's also probably a fault. So this was based on the book American Prometheus. So I think that's probably part of the source materials problem as well. And there's a really good documentary um, on... Day After Trinity. It's on the Criterion Channel Mm -hmm. right now. And it really kind of... It doesn't go into the Strauss stuff, but it does... It it basically outlines everything. It touches on on it. I mean, yeah. And it's really, really interesting to see um, his younger brother on film kind of talking about all of that this movie had a couple so you know we obviously you're just we're just watching um you know the the genesis of of um the atomic bomb the manhattan project right and so so it's this is broken up and i you know in it's a three hour and two minute long movie it's based it's three very succinct acts although no one does play around with time because there's a um you know there's a, a hinted at court case and america's turning on oppenheimer technically mm. potentially turning on oppenheimer but the first act is basically oppenheimer's beginning life and him meeting these people that are going to influence him einstein bohr um it also lays out his sort of leftist sympathies right right yeah so it gets him yes and so that's what's ultimately going to lead to his quote unquote downfall um at least potentially uh, for a while the second hour is the manhattan project then rec- you know him and damon recruiting uh, the the world's best scientist building a um, a city in Los Alamos, New Mexico, 
and then of course we get the the the, the you know the beautiful spectacle on mm-hmm. film of mm-hmm. the bomb going off, and it's really, and that happens like right at hour two, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, like he, I mean, like honestly, it That's is the thing he know one hour. It is the his leftist leanings and kind of setting up who he is. Second hour is Manhattan Project, and the third hour is going through the trial with Robert Downey Jr. Strauss. Um, who's going to be on um, that confirmation hearing, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a confirmation hearing <clears throat> coupled with his like behind closed doors uh, renewal of his secret clearance and letting him basically, if he doesn't get a secret clearance renewed, he can no longer work in the atomic bomb, you know, or work or work in, in, in the, the atomic in, energy in, commission, in, yeah. right? Right, right. Um, I, I think everything there, I think all of that is just so brilliantly done it's so brilliantly shot it so seamlessly goes in from imax to not imax to so i mean like and the the use of like if this doesn't win best sound oscar or oh, sound editing i was like this is there's no fucking way right i mean it has to this the sequence with the bomb and the four minutes of silence and then you feel it you're i mean like this idea that like in some sort of like film trickery where you makes you think that you're filming that, that you're yeah. feeling it and your, your yeah. clothes are shaking and like um the couple of, and obviously we both love this. I don't, and we both love Pew. And I, 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 we keep going over this. I think Pew is really good in this. I do too. I, I think, and I think, you know, but, and as much as I like seeing people naked, right? I don't, I don't know why that was, any of that was necessary. I don't know why this sex scenes, like you're given hints of Oppenheimer being this womanizer, but you really only see it with two. One is a communist, um, who he falls in love with early in his career, and then he basically steals the wife of another mm-hmm. uh, person mm-hmm. in Emily Blunt. Pew's scenes, I, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, I mean, like, on, on those and why they're actually ever included in the movie? I, I, I think that this was sort of a, what a 13-year-old thinks is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, right. that, I mean, because there's no it, fucking way that scene actually went down in real life the way that it goes down in this no, movie. No, like, okay, she so she doesn't, she doesn't get off by him reading her. The Bagavita, right? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, the way that the way they introduce his famous line, right? I'm become death, right. destroyer of worlds, is where she pulls the Bagavita off the shelf in his bedroom in the middle of sex, has him read the original Sanskrit, right, and it turns her on even more. And that's what he says. And it's just fucking stupid. It's just, it's again, like this is a cheesy moment. It is a, let me make a sexy movie, right? Let me, because has he ever done anything like that? He's almost before, right. So now it's time to, to put a sexy spin on this. And I just think it's, it's, I, it's I, 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 is it his only sex scene? I think so. It has to be. Because I was just thinking right? of like, there's nothing in Memento with Carrie and Moss. No. And that would have been the only other. And I then, mean, what other movies? Prestige. There was nothing in Prestige. Mm-hmm. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing in... Nothing in Insomnia. More a tyranny stays clothed the entire time. <laughs> to, yeah, much to our chagrin. <laughs> uh, nothing really in Batman. No, I and mean, there's not... nothing in uh, Inception, right? I mean, there's so... Uh, no, or, or, or Tenet. Right, right. Um, so I don't, so... I don't know. Like, why... I, I, I don't... Aside from padding out time, which you don't need to do in this... Um, Look, you just need a movie that's divisible well, they, by three. And, and, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and the second, the second sex scene where they're just sitting in chairs naked, smoking, talking. They could have been well, in robes. I mean, but I mean, look, right, but, but it's right. just, it's just, I feel like it's just a way to say, look at Florence Pugh's boobs. Right. 
Which sounds like well, weird which, for us to be like I know, I know, right? I know. Because like, why wouldn't we love putity, right? I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but again, like, what does it? But I think this is always. Well, this is the question of if you include these things, to what end? Why are you including them? Right, and and, and so the, the you know the scene where he's being integr integrated. What the hell? What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with me? Interrogated. You have pubes. <laughs> Yeah, so now we were just like, we're not proud boys. And then we start to do this <laughs> but, meathead but, conversation. But, but we are 12 year olds, right? <laughs> the scene where he's being interrogated, and it's a, you know, it's in Emily Blunt's mind. They're talking about her and his affair with her. Yeah. And then so she's, I, that scene, again, I don't necessarily know why that's all necessary, but I understand that, okay, now you've got Pew staring daggers at Blunt, and Blunt is kind of. Like, I can understand that that's showing this from Blunt's perspective of, like, how this must feel, is that this is happening in front of her again. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I get that. That's not a bad sequence. But, and then when you pull back and he's naked in front of all of them as well, you almost, like, then turn it completely away from from, from the pain that Blunt is feeling right. to the pain that right. Oppenheimer is feeling. Which, right. again, then fuck you, give her something, right? right? Which this right. movie never does. It like it treats her like an alcoholic shrew. It gives her one moment. Yeah, when she end. testifies. Yeah, well, yeah, and right. When yes. she testifies right. with, uh, you know, and and really turns all those men kind of on their heads. And, but, but 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 that's it. But at, and and it doesn't like it's crazy to me. Why does it? Why does this movie feel the need to? Even if it's historically accurate, <clears throat> why does this movie need to paint her as an alcoholic bad, bad mother? mother? <laughs> For the first, for the second act, right? And then have her come to be a champion. And really, it's not ever explained, like, why she bears the slings and arrows of her husband's constant infidelity. Right. Where, right. And, and again, I know women in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s, and I mean, like, they just stayed with their husbands because the divorce wasn't. And he's also, she probably forgave him because he was prominent figure and he probably was who knows who knows right we don't know right. because we're not giving that story right. i fucking included right like right. i mean like it, it, at that point <clears throat> if she's going to become a side note to his story then don't fucking degrade her like just right. let her be a doting ignorant wife who didn't know about the end. and also the infidelity doesn't i mean like it, like the fact that he was a brilliant mind was enough to get all his scientists around. You didn't need the charisma of of him like being around women to also convince you that he right. was charismatic. The fact that so you don't necessarily need to even and again I'm not as I just said I'm not from a biographer picture to, to sweep under the, you know sweep the ugly stuff under. But this story is clearly not telling the, wanting to tell the story completely. And so why include it at all? Right. Like why go through that? I mean whole there thing? are other, there are other ways to show the infidelities. Right. Then then. Having, you know, Florence Pugh naked in a hotel room, and and you're giving Blunt nothing to do, right? And 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 you're and you make like I said, you you uh, degrade her character at the beginning, and and make her seem like that Oppenheimer's got to carry this other burden of her, while he also has to create the 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 um the, the atomic bomb. I, the other thing that I found interesting too is that it, it I. I do feel like, like you said, this movie loves him too much. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to make a rated, if you're going to make a rated R movie, like it, it was surprising to me that op, that Nolan really stayed away from the actual horrors of 
the atomic bomb and what actually happened and what actually happened when it was dropped in, in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you get some of that. You get some of the in the, in the rally sequence and the celebrations. Speech, and, and, yeah. But but even that's really tame. And again, I'm not necessarily advocating for a huge amount of gore, but just like what looks like fake skin flapping in the wind. Yeah. Is really kind of undermining what actually happened. Well, think about happened. what they did in Terminator Two, <laughs> right, right? Sure, right. Which could have been just as easy. Like you could have shown yeah. a Japanese playground, or, or you know, or something. You could have shown something, right? Yeah. And the idea of like, yeah, okay, whether or not we think it's necessary, where they thought it was necessary, it it doesn't. The, the only thing that you and then you know, the only thing you really like do is you know you put him in front of Truman and Truman like takes the the decision making yeah. away from him and then calls him essentially calls him a pussy and then <clears> and, and, <throat> and then makes him leave his office so you're given some sort of like level of compassion for Oppenheimer but I, I do think that they they toy with Oppenheimer being more nefarious than than what the movie plays him out to be especially at the beginning because he poisons that apple. Oh, right. And like right. you have this in this idea of that Oppenheimer in order to achieve his goals will at least toy around with the idea of harming people and that, and that he see, you know, and I think that's an interesting nugget that they don't do anything with. No, because this, this movie is also a lot about like the potential dangers of technology to humanity. Right. Right. And but I think that's also what these specific kind of great minds forget about because someone like Oppenheimer is so enamored with this, with theory, with creation, with like, can I not necessarily should I? Right. 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 But again, like that's not really touched on there. And we see him sort of have this moment of going back to get the apple, but there's no going back to get the atomic bomb. Right. <laughs> right I right. mean, they know what's going to happen. They know the potential here, even if it is just theory. And, and and some of them, and they do show that some of these, some of the scientists wanted to stop, right? After Germany surrendered, they were like, well, what's the point? Let's just stop, right? 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 That, that's always the thing, right? These, these men, these quote-unquote great men, are going to step on everyone else's neck just to do that thing, whether they should or not. Right. And then I think the last thing that kind of like... This is why I'm still down here on the bottom. <laughs> sure. Oh, absolutely! You got to step on necks, like snap necks and cast checks, brother. Oh my God. Just like my my fucking tattoo in the back, my you know around my torso says. Uh, <laughs> um, the other thing that I think Nolan is starting to fall in love with is it's becoming his crutch is his use of cameo actors. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. and it's it's to the point where I'm looking at people and going, "Hey, is that Gary Oldman?" Or "Hey, is right. like I thought it was really poorly done in Interstellar when you meet Matt Damon halfway through, and I'm like, "Okay, well now what the fuck? Matt Damon hasn't been here the entire time. Like right. now I'm like, why did you include this huge megastar actor in this, this role? Because now I'm thinking, oh well, now I'm watching Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. So now I'm looking at every single scene, and I get it; they're all good actors. And, but it's, and I, but, but I don't know. I don't necessarily need to see you. Like, where have I seen that fucking guy before? Or, or like, is that, is that Dane DeHaan? Cause he kind of looks a little different and like, I haven't seen him in a really long time. And then, and then I'm like, oh wait, is Albert Einstein somebody? No, he's nobody. He's just a fucking guy. You know, he's just Who guy. looks like Einstein. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you can do that with Einstein, why the fuck they are you doing do it with anybody? Yeah. Like, like, okay, you get Hartnett and you get Cillian and you get Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and you're good, 
right? I mean, you're good. I mean, no one really knows Benny Safdie. Right, right. I, I don't mind Safdie. No, I, no, I, right, I, right. Or like Josh Peck or anything like I mean, like all— they're, they're, or, they're, or Gustav Skarsgård. I mean— <laughs> Right, 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 right. <laughs> no, I just mean like these are good actors who are like, okay— yeah, right, but even okay. like uh, Jack Quaid at this point is kind of like becoming a little right. too like, all right, well, I'm seeing so many people pop up. But 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 I will say I can forgive like the the men who are not in makeup. But then when I start to look at like, like I said, when I start to look at is Truman Gary Oldman. Yeah. Like why? Why do that? Because now I'm just now I'm just like I'm, I'm taken out. I'm not watching Truman. Right. I'm watching Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman portray Truman. And it would be one thing if it, this was a Truman movie that had Gary Ullman in the lead role of Truman. Because so, I because I didn't really mind Casey Affleck. Like, I think that that comes in and adds, like, and I don't know why that doesn't bother me, whereas the Matt Damon thing does. But I, but there's it, there's just so many of them. <laughs> well, they're them. different. They're stars on different levels. True, true, true. I mean, true. I, I don't know. I, I do think that, it, again, there's a saturation point um, for this. This is not, like... Shyamalan having to always do a, a twist ending, but right. I mean, it, it does. But we saw this with Asteroid City too. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it becomes a problem when you, and this is not a stable of players that um, that he's using that are over. I mean, Murphy, Damon, uh, to certain old, he's used Oldman quite a bit, but I mean, like, um, but these are not guys that he's not. Oh, he's not he used them in Batman. What else did he use? That's Oldman basically in. it. I think I don't know if he's been anything. Yeah, else. I, I don't know. How do you feel about those Batman films? Uh, I think looking back on them now. <laughs> look, I think that's, I, I, you know, going back to 20-year-old me being upset about Buffalo Tom going on my so-called life or Modest Mouse going in an Apple commercial. Um, I do think that I wanted to see more Memento mm-hmm. and Prestige Nolan mm-hmm. than I wanted to see um, Batman Nolan. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're fine i think that they introduced a era of superhero films that are like i I, it's one of those things like we go back to the beginning of this and like well we want studios to listen to this we really didn't want studios to listen to ultra gritty realistic it works for batman because batman's not a superhero right he's a billionaire he's a detective Right. Um, yeah, he's the world's greatest detective. He's a billionaire who has toys that allows mm-hmm. him to fight other super villains. And none of them are genetically modified. You know, they're 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 criminally insane and they have they also have asked, you know, so that works. But when you try to do it to Superman, who's an actual alien from another planet, it doesn't fucking yeah. play. Yeah, I. I think they're fine. I and, and it's I think you know obviously Dark Knight is though I think Dark Knight is a a movie that's parts are greater than its sum. Yeah. Like there are sequences that are just amazing, but I don't and then I but I mean I think there's one really above par movie and the other two are okay Batman films. Yeah. But I do think you know and to and I get why they had to shift to a certain extent, but I do think Batman plays better in Burton's world. Or the 1960s Batman, where it's a lot more playful because it can't be because it's a it's a silly concept. When you put Batman into the real world, <laughs> Batman becomes a fucking fascist, right? Right. right. I mean, so now we're championing this guy who, like Bane, just wants to give the world back to the workers, right? He wants to basically he introduce socialism and steal this these billionaires' money and, and bring him back down on the level, break literally breaking his back. 
but we're supposed to go on and into this multi. This is like cheering on Musk or Zuckerberg. Like <laughs> right. it's not like it. it we shouldn't <clears throat> be wanting to. In, these, this guy could do so much more by spending millions on social programs than being this fucking narcissist who goes into a bat cave and starts beating people up. Mm -hmm. But alas, here's where. We, and again, I know it's a Barbie movie, right? It's a toy. I get it. I don't give a shit. But again, you're gonna tell a story. Tell a story where it's fucking where everything is day glow. And we can we can do kicky kicky, and we got you know right like why ever leave right right well, I mean I you, want, you can I have problems happen right in Barbie Land right <laughs> so so I think I mean like I don't ever go back to Begins or uh, the Dark whatever the Dark Knight what's the last one called um you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, returns some tapes. I don't know. The, the Dark Knight the returns some VHS dark tapes. Night um, rises. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Rises, rises, rises. Um, and but I mean, like the Dark Knight, I'll watch the opening sequence. The Dark Knight, if it comes on, um, and then if Heath Ledger's on the screen, I'll watch him. But but I don't find Bale a particularly compelling no. Batman. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's the, always been the problem with Batman, right? Is the bat, and that's probably the problem with superhero movies in general, is that the villains are the more enjoyable characters. But specifically in Batman movies, they're always more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Gunn type, tap, you know, tapped into that with the Suicide Squad. I mean, it makes sense. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. I don't want to talk about superhero movies anymore. It just happened there. I, I guess I shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> that was your fault. I was, well, I was just thinking about, like, like the sort of um, distinct periods of Nolan's filmmaking and how that ushered in something new. Right, right. right. I mean, really kind of, like, I mean, took a split... And then I think it's led to stuff like this, even though I really like Tenet. I like Tenet a lot. I like this, but I think... I liked Inception quite a bit. Yeah, I liked Inception too. I didn't like Interstellar. No, I didn't either. Um, but I, I do think this sort of Batman stuff ushered in this different maybe vision of filmmaking from Nolan. Right? It's surprising so. to me that he did the full trilogy. It's really <clears throat> surprising to me that he didn't like just step away, especially after Ledger died. I mean, yeah. he was contractually obligated to do so, but like... And I get this. Also, it'd be weird to have like a trilogy not from the same guy in terms of just because I think his filmmaking is very specific. Right. And how his movies look. And then if you had a third one that was like, oh, it's. And maybe it was a full story that they had that they wanted to yeah. tell. I don't know. That over a course of three movies, I don't know. The chance to work with Marion Cotillard. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on? Uh, sure. I don't, yeah. Or do you want to keep going on these two films for like another <laughs> two hours? Uh, no, I think, uh, yeah, I, I do want to come back and say I, 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 that, that I, again, I did, I do really think Oppenheimer is one of the better movie of Barbie, of Barbie, of the Barbenheimer thing. And I do think that it is a stellar, fantastic film, aside from the flaws that we kind of tear it apart with. Um, <laughs> I think Downey Jr. is great. I think Cillian's great. I, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think. think for a three-hour film, even with its flaws, no one—it never feels like it's dragging. I, I sat there enthralled the entire time, and I only looked at my watch because I could notice the beats, and I wanted to see where the beats were happening. And yeah. it was like, "Holy shit, that's like right yeah. on the money!" Like it's, yeah, like, that, it's crazy. That, that was interesting. I mean, and, and again, this is this is a filmmaker who, who uses time in very very specific ways. Sure, sure. And I know that people use that as a kind of stick to beat him with, which I don't under, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't understand the sort of, ooh, Nolan time, and that's dumb, and I hate when he plays with time. And it's like, this is, again, like, this is someone who's interested in how a story is told, the structure of a film, and how, how it's made. He's going to play with narrative structure. He's right. going to, I mean, he's told us that from this 
from the very beginning, from his very first two films. Right? I'm playing with this. And I do like that he is making movies specifically for the world's biggest theaters and and, and the biggest screens. So this goes, I mean, back to my comment about Sarah Polly, right? And look, these are two very different filmmakers. And I think that's my point is that no one is interested in what can I do with IMAX cameras? What can I do with 70 millimeter film? What can I do with building a town literally from the ground up like this town? And I don't think a filmmaker like Sarah Polly is interested in that as much. And that's why the Bambi thing is not appealing to me. (laughs) Right. 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 Now, what if Christopher Nolan did a live action Bambi? I... They'd probably have this like ominous score throughout the whole thing. <laughs> right. Bambi would be a drunk. Bambi would be oh well, Bambi is male. Never mind. What the fuck Bambi Bambi would be sort of like walking along, walking in the forest, sort of contemplating his <laughs> his purpose and his his quote unquote greatness. I want to make sure that I keep putting that greatness in quotes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Feeling alienated. Right. Flower would try to convince him of things, but it would never quite work. <laughs> I do, right, I do think that it was funny that Rami Malek only had, like, three sentences in Oppenheimer. He's in, like, five or six different scenes that he just, just keeps quiet. Like, stands there. Like, like, that's a testament to wanting to work with Nolan, of course. Yeah. But again, like, do you need Rami Malek for that role? No. And again, but that isn't really, it doesn't, like, it's funny to me just because it's a moment of, like, okay, when he's not talking, I'm like, he's so... Like enamored with the fucking just, I'm gonna show up and work with no one. That I'm, just, I'll just show up and do shit. And like, if he lets me speak, I'll speak. And if not, I, I won't. And just look around. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. it's uh, um, and but, but that was such a fun moment. Like obviously, when they're turning the tables on on uh, Downey Jr. Strauss. Yeah. Uh, that it's just. Uh, I, I I think I think I think Murphy and Downey Jr. will both be nominated. I think Downey Jr. has a really good for supporting. Winning. Yeah, yeah, he's so he's fantastic. Good in it, yeah. I, I I think this movie is, is also a a testament to what this system does to people. How in one moment they hold you up, the next moment they tear you down. Right. These political machinations, backroom dealings. It doesn't matter what you've done for us. It only matters kind of what you can do or if you're in our way. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I I was sitting there watching, especially as, like, everything's kind of crumbling around Downey Jr. Uh, there are moments that I like. There's it, it, Johnny B. Good is a shit movie. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but. There, but there's a scene um, in in that movie where Downey Jr. is with two girls in a, in a hotel room. And he's just he's just rambling, just kind of talking. Like, I was just like, holy shit, this is, like, a perfect callback to, like, Downey Jr. and the, the level of acting that he brought to the table and even a shitty little Johnny B. Good movie bringing it back around to to something like an Oppenheimer. Now we're going to finally recognize it, but like it was always there all along. Like, Junior, like, he's got an amazing career. I mean, I know he, he derailed because of drugs and then, of course, you know, um, uh, uh, Favreau takes a chance on him and, and does the... But like, all of this, all of the small indie stuff that he was doing, even the Hughes stuff that he was doing, um, I mean, he has his dad in him, you know, so, oh, yeah. so much yeah. that kind of like just subversive filmmaker mm-hmm. and like just that it's weird to me the amount of shit they allowed him to get away with from an improv because there's no way that that was written on, you know, any of those, any of those type of kind of diatribes that he did in those earlier movies. Oh yeah. Um, that was actually written and allowed to <laughs> just let him place. go. You right, just sort of right. wind him up and, and let right. him react <laughs> to stuff around him. Right. Yeah. And, and see what happens. And I think also like his, 
I don't think we'd call him a physical actor, but his mannerisms and his physicality on screen, I think, also add another layer to his performance. I mean, the the way he holds his hands and the way that he will, like, lean his temple right. on, like, his knuckles, his finger. I mean, it's a very specific kind of way of, of holding his arm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, he's, he's great. And it's, it's, it's too bad that he derailed himself with drugs, but maybe we wouldn't have gotten the same. <laughs> maybe we wouldn't have gotten the same Robert Downey Jr. performances sure. that we have. I'm gesticulating a lot today and I'm kicking things and <laughs> knocking things off the table. <laughs> All right, let's get to Cassavetes. Okay, let's talk about Cassavetes. So I watched Nick's first two films. Is that what we're talking about today? Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. yeah. And and Zoe's work with uh, right. Sofia Coppola. Yes. <laughs> so John Cassavetes, right, <laughs> born in 1929, died in 1989. So at a young age, 59, uh, terrible alcoholic. He has been called an iconoclastic maverick and one of if not the most influential American directors of the last half century, mostly known for his independent filmmaking, right? Cinema verite and improvisational aesthetic. Maybe a better term is observational cinema. Yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he received three Oscar nominations. One as an actor for The, for the Dirty the Dozen. Dozen. Yeah. One for the screenplay of Faces. And then a director nom for A Woman Under the Influence. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, I think this is sort of setting the stage for the films we're going to talk about. But Cassavetes hated the method, right? The method style of acting. Which is all what was going on at the time. Right. Right. So right. He, he's in New York. And yeah, this is basically. He's like fresh out of school, really. Right. Yeah. In 1956, mm -hmm. he starts his own kind of acting class with Burt Lane. And it's like this anti-method thing. Right. Right. And so his idea, and, and, and you know, feel free to shed some light on this. Um, but the idea was that it was more based in character creation, right? A character kind of creating their masks as they interact and react to other characters mm -hmm. rather than using past experience, past trauma or whatever to figure out the motivation of a particular character or a psychology of a particular character. Is that yeah, thanks. So. I mean, like you, you, all everything that was like coming before, you know, in your your steeped in Hayes Code filmography yeah. is coming from it's seemingly playwrights, right? I mean, like you're 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 mired in this right. world of like stage direction and hitting your marks and 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 hitting your lines exactly, and, and like and that comes through in like your in in the in your black and white film noir movies from the forties and fifties where everything almost is stilted to a degree where there's no humanity. In the, and I say that, that's not true in every case. But, but like, you look at those movies, and I love those movies, but again, there's a lot of emotional sh emotion stripped from that. Right. And, there's, and it's also, <clears throat> everything is, uh, you know, like a Raymond Chandler novel, where it's all just like, boom, right. boom, boom, right. boom, boom, right. boom. Like, I'm just, right. this, this rat-a-tat dialogue, not realistic, but also it's just... And it, there's some beautiful filmmaking there, but I can obviously see why you'd want to, especially when you're watching French New Wave and like, and this kind of, you know, early mumblecore and like, yeah, um, that's coming out of that. 
and wanting to do something different. Yeah. You know, and you can see where it gets. Uh, Elaine comes up with like keeping the camera on him, right? And comes right. out of this school of like, let's just see where shit takes us. I don't need to know where, I don't want to know. I know that this character is going to do A, B, and C. And then this other character is going to do X, Y, and Z, right? And now, but let's see what happens when they've done that and we'll go to the next step. So there's a great anecdote from Peter Falk. Um, I was watching A Constant Forge, the documentary on on Cassavetes. And Peter Falk is talking about um, the scene in A Woman Under the Influence where he's at the table and he's telling the story about like, you know, a couple years ago, I didn't see any kids. And now I see like all these baby carriages everywhere and there must be something in the air. <laughs> and Falk is like, everyone's laughing at me. He's like, I don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> and everyone at the table, you know, they don't understand either. And so we're all laughing about it. And then like, you know, the documentary cuts back to the scene where he like is trying to explain the saying. And he's like, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like what I'm saying. He goes, I don't know the motivation here. I don't care. Why would I? He's reacting to everyone else reacting right. to him. And that leads to then this kind of ongoing dialogue of them just trying to figure out what it is he's trying to say. Right. right? And right. so I think that that like that really sort of centered it. I think, I mean, for me in terms of like watching that. Yeah. So his first film, Shadows. Shadows. It's a complete improvisational. So it started well, off. Well, it grew from an improv in class. Right. And, right. And, and I think something else about this class, and again, I might be wrong. But if I'm wrong, I don't want to be right here, right? <laughs> so, right. So, so Cassavetes is teaching this class, and I think everybody had to pay like 2 or $3, including Cassavetes. <laughs> so he's, right. he's leading the class, but he had to pay as well. <laughs> but yeah, so Shadows started as like an improv exercise. And basically the whole, the, 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 the improv scene was uh, a young white man is dating a light-skinned black girl and he finds out that he's in an interracial relationship when he meets her darker-skinned brother. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the whole, that's the story born out of this. Now, now the movie itself, you know, is loosely about uh, three siblings. One is a jazz, you know, kind of an aging, and it, it basically not aging, but like he's a jazz singer who he, he, he's a workman jazz singer, but he's struggling. And the, and the industry seems to be moving beyond him. He's never really kind of gotten his break. Right. Now um, his, his agent is like the one person who really believes in him. Right. The, the sister who is a writer. Wants uh, to be a writer. Wants to be a writer. And she's kind of in a, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say, a, she's in a relationship where she's in a relationship with an older man. And he is a writer. Like, he's a novelist. Right. Yeah. And he's kind of mansplaining a lot of... <laughs> Well, I think I think I, it it feels more like a mentor mentee relationship, right? And I know that we're supposed to think it's, it's kind of boyfriend girlfriend, but there's no real intimacy between the two of them, right? Right. It's it's almost like he wants there to be, but he's but he's also playing the role of mentoring her, and so like he has to be cool when she goes off with the other guys, yeah. But 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 he wants to be in that position, right? And then the younger brother is kind of a ruffian who's, um, you know, he's, he's just hanging out with his boys, hitting on girls. And, and But he's also a trumpet player. And he's also a trumpet player. And right, it right. seems like, it seems like to me anyway, that he is the most talented of these, of kind of everyone around. But he's right. also, he just wants to drink, get in fights, and chase girls. Yeah. And so we are brought into, we, we follow all three of them at different stages um, basically, every scene that we have is a problem that's only then resolved by yet another problem. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we see the sister, we see the actual, um, you know, bigotry play out. That that actually is still in the film. 
Um, we see the brother struggle with, uh, you know, a variety of different gigs and trying to, he ends up at a burlesque or, not, I guess it's a burlesque club or something sort of like dancing girl yeah. club type thing. And his he, job is to introduce the girls after he's done singing, right. but they it's, cut him off they half cut him the off, time. Right. <laughs> um, and, and it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to put a finger on like really kind of describing. I mean, it's, this is an hour and 25 minute movie where you're just, I mean, it's just, you're, this, this film is like jazz. Right. I mean, really what, is, one, yeah. it's like it's like, it's very much a beat era film, too. I mean, I think he started filming in like 57, 58, you know, right. 57 and then finished in 58. And so it's very much like a beat era New York film, but it but it plays like jazz. I mean, it's there's a kind of structure, but also that saxophone player is going to sort of go off in his own direction and come back to right. that structure. Right. I mean, I, and that's how I. Yeah, that's how I feel about that film is that it's for being an improvisational film. And um, and of course, you know these two films are in stark black and white. Um, you know, there's uh, it's. I was really impressed with his camera placement and and how he was able to capture all the performances. The performances are all over the place. The actors yeah. are in the actor school. I mean, these are all friends of his or people that are in his acting class. So the performances wildly vary. Um, I think this was. And shot I think for Lane like, was coaching some of these actors too. Yeah, yeah, and this was shot for forty grand. I mean, like so. And there was an initial version that went out, and then everyone hated it except for like one critic. You know, Jonas Mikas. Yes, yes, yeah. Who's not just a critic. I know, I know. I, I mean, know. he. Yes. I think he he would have been like the preeminent kind of experimental filmmaker at that time, right? right? And that's why he loved the fifty-eight version is because it was experimental and. And, and, then, and then he said the 59 version, he was like, like pissed him off. Everything was... good about the other version, he just ruined. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, um, and this movie wasn't well received. I and mean, this, I mean, it wouldn't, I mean, and like he ends up going to Johnny Staccato, uh, which mm -hmm. is a PI TV series mm -hmm. that ended up paying off the debts for this. Um, but and, again, like back to what we said about these directors, I mean, this is what he did, right? right he, he took right. these acting jobs to then pay for this other stuff. I think it the, again the camera placement and movement, and also the black and white underplaying the skin tones of the people that are mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like it, you know, because you don't ever know if Layla is. I'm not saying her name right. I mean, That's how I would yeah. say, yeah. Um, if she's actually like when you see her first, she does not present as a as a black woman, and she's not actually in real life a black woman. Like she actually lost out roles because of this because people thought that she was black. Yeah. Um, but it 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 plays so well and it plays to those tropes so well and it's just i, I don't know it, it's so beautiful to watch even if it's not always compelling like and there are certain scenes where this drags this is not mm -hmm. this is not his obviously his, i mean this is a student film for all intents and purposes right this is him figuring but you it see out. so much in this film. right right no but what he also does so well is all i mean like is like this level of cinema verite just didn't exist at this time like no one was especially in america was doing this so the idea that you're going to take a camera and you don't have a story, you, like, you don't have a story, you don't have a fucking uh, script. And you're you're in permits. <laughs> right. And the fact that he was able to really capture like Times Square and New York City. Like this is such a movie that's steeped in like as, as like dirty and grimy as like Taxi Driver is. This movie like makes all of this stuff look wonderful. Like I... Like, no other, I mean, we've said this before, but, like, movies that I want to live in and, like, be, mm -hmm. and I would love to have been, like, in Cassavetes' class. Because what's crazy, I mean, I, I don't know how progressive this really was, but I'm assuming for a 59 movie, being centered on an interracial relationship, and also calling out the bigotry. Right. Right. Because right. so when, so, and it's, you know, she, Layla is, um, 
you know, she's under the wing of of her of David. I think is David her, is his name. Mm-hmm. Is, is of her kind of mentor, and um, she meets up with this guy named Tony, and she gives herself sexually to him. She like actually kind of pursues him, and um, it's a it's a it's and that whole sequence. Or like I think Layla's like it had it just been a movie that was focused on Layla because she's so. I don't think she's necessarily the best actress, especially not in this particular role, but like she's so magnetic and like beautiful to look at. Like, and like her, her journey through this of like having her first, having her like pursue a sexual interest because almost like she's trying to get out from underneath David's tutelage and like kind of establish herself with her two brothers. Um, but also kind of falling under the trappings of being a young girl, having sex for the first time and then lead, letting your heart lead with that mm-hmm. and kind of fall, being disappointed by the actual act itself. And then kind of like the, the scene where she's in bed with Tony at, and, and like he's kind of apologizing for not knowing it was her first time. And she's like, well, what do we do now? Do I do I do I live with you? Do I love you? Like, I mean, like it's such a like for 59 to be put on scene like that. And like and and that being an improv scene. So I what I what I read and what I heard about this film and, and, and all of his films, too, is that the. A, a good chunk of it is improv, improv, but he has certain bits of dialogue. He has okay. certain bits of things. And then Jenna Rowland said this. She's like, everyone thinks everything was just improvised. But here's the thing. She's like, we had scripts, but what happens when you get in there? You're going to react to the way someone stands, to the way someone says something, to right. the way someone moves. That's where the improv comes in, right? And so I think that was part of this scene as well. Because the one thing that she says I didn't know it could be so awful. Right. And that is a heartbreaking line. Right. I mean, and he's just like, oh, shit. But then, yeah, and then she follows it up with, so what do we do do now? Do I move in here with you? And I can never tell, because I've watched this multiple times, if if she's being serious or if she's being sarcastic in that moment. Right. And, And, I mean, I love that kind of ambiguity, too, because she is, from the very beginning, smarter than she lets on. For right, a lot of these right. guys, and you see her kind of choose to win, choose when she acts independently and when she sort of like swerves to different sort of modes and sort of ways of being, and I, and I think that's brilliant, right? And so this is a moment where I'm like, is she serious or is she just playing with this dude? Where she's like, <laughs> but, but I, I don't know, I, I don't know. But I think once once you know they're at the house together. And then when her brothers come in, she does genuinely oh, yes. seem to be upset yes. by his bigotry, yes. right? And yes. like and like and as her brother can can sense the unease once he once, you know, the and it's I that whole sequence where he's like like telling her that he'll see her tomorrow, but then when I've gotta um, go, I've got a I've got an appointment. Got an I've got an appointment. I, I, I didn't tell you about it, I got an appointment. And then when the brother comes over and it's like, I don't I want you to leave, I don't want you to hurt my sister anymore. Yeah. And he's like, No, let me stay you're like, you wanna come to lunch with us tomorrow? And like he's like now trying to backtrack on yeah. it all. Um, I mean, I it's like, like I said, this is not a perfect film by any means, but like laying the groundwork of like doing something completely new, uh, and 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 putting that type of like so the point being that the bigotry is looked down upon in mm-hmm. a nineteen fifty nine film where you would you know, I would imagine audiences were like understandably like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I mean, they don't, why wouldn't you want to get out of it? You can't right. be sleeping with a black girl. Like, I mean, it's just um but <laughs> right. but 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 also Cassavetes like knowing, you know, and putting all that out there of like 
no, this is the guy who's in the wrong, and, and, and this is ridiculous that he's acting this way. And, of course, the brothers are right to protect her in this scenario. I think because so many of Cassavetti's characters, I mean, especially like Mikey and Nikki, come right. off as... Kind of racist assholes. Kind of racist assholes to find how progressive his films are. And I think I think that he understands how to write women as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that comes from input from other people that he's not just like, I understand, I'm the one man in the world who understands women. But I, like his women characters, I'm like, okay, this guy is not playing with stereotypes or tropes here. He's like letting women be women. And I mean, think, think, can you think of another film that treats virginity and and the losing of virginity that way i mean and, like, and in such like a realistic way right. as well yeah right as you're in bed you know and, and realizing that it was a huge mistake what you just did <laughs> but also right. then realizing the repercussions of what you just did and what that means for your relationship with this person and mm -hmm. like and knowing that i don't know knowing that even the one act that the one act was bad that you're that it's not i don't know that whole yeah. like you said like um what do we do now it is it's just is is yeah it's that's well, so well done. It's, yeah. it's so great. Yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in the in the Benny character mm -hmm. as well because there's a there's a a moment you know, at some point through the film I'm I'm wondering if this isn't actually his story, right? And of course, also like the way it ends too with um, Benny and Hugh. That's the older brother, right? They 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 get into this fight. They get into which seems to happen a lot, and and this this time. It seems like the big one where Benny's going to leave and never come back. And then, you know, they sort of make up and then everything seems okay. And you think that Benny's going to sort of change his ways, right? He's actually going to kind of go forward and do something different, which I guess was not the case in the 58 version. Right. Where right. that fight, that kind of Benny walking off happens earlier in the film so that he just stays the same. <laughs> right. Which is interesting. Right. But because we open the film with Benny and we sort of, do we close the film with Benny? I think so. Right? Because right, yeah. we get we get Hugh and his agent like, running to the bus, and then we get basically Benny walking into the night. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think, but again, I mean, this is kind of like jazz structure of the film where we kind of go off and then come back and then go off and then come back. I love Benny's crew. Who's the guy that has, like, the great, like, mug? He, he was in it. He's character actor. Um, is it Tom Reese? Yeah, Tom okay. Reese. Yeah, yeah, he's got this. He's just got this face. It's got like too much skin and too many bones and like and like too much hair. Yeah. And it's just like it, he looks. He reminds he's me. He's a big dude, right? He reminds me of Mickey Rourke in Sin City. Yeah, like it's just yeah, that kind of yeah. like looks. He's like he looks like he's drawn, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> such um, a great face for a black and white. I, mean, I know he went on to do other things, but like it's such a great like visual. You know who hated this film? Janet Maslin. Pauline Kael. <laughs> Pauline Kael. I don't know why I said Janet Maslin. I, I think I'd looked her up for a minute ago. But. So apparently... Uh, I can see that. I mean, like, I can see yeah. most not getting this. If yeah. You, if you're coming from... Hey, look, if you're coming from watching these other, like, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, movies, sure. like, like yeah. Or Cat on a Hot Ten Roof. Or, like, yeah, you're, this is you're so not going to like this. This movie starts screaming at you immediately. Oh. Like, it, it, you know, it's... <laughs> seconds and then it's just like this <laughs> rock and roll score you know or yeah. jazz, you know and it's just like blaring no it is it's like yeah. it's like um i mean it's such like a beatnik scene when right. they made the sort of dancing in the club and that music and, and then we shift into something different and this idea of non-polished actors and 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 uh you know varying levels of line reads and also then you're you're just moving like you said you were just moving the <laughs> 
you know, they, they, at that one point where he was trying to learn how to tell a joke, and then we go into like those two <laughs> yeah. old vaudeville guys talking about like, um, I, I really love that scene. It was just like they're they're just trying to like get to the etymology of that joke. It's so much fun. <laughs> tell jokes is not what I do. Um, so Pauline, they were at like some like college film society event. Both of them were there, and oh, Pauline nice. Kael got up for like twenty minutes and just railed against this film. <laughs> They ended up sharing a cab somehow, and she had like this kind of coat with her on the seat, and Cassavetti stole it. <laughs> and she had to come to his house, like bang on his door to get it. He snuck out the back and put it in her car and like put her in. Another another time, I think she, you know, made some other shitty comment about he tried to get her barred from like press screenings for his movies. Because she him. was, yeah. He stole they were she was so Kale, Cassavetti's, and Castle. We're in a cab together. Cassavetes took her shoes off her feet and threw them out of the window. That's horrible, but it's funny. So here's the thing. This is why Cassavetes is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that's it right there. Ca Castle's not in this much, but I do. And when we get but he served to... as like an associate producer, I think, yeah. too. He's I, been with them from the beginning. God, wouldn't you love to have a fucking young Seymour Castle as your friend, like just to hang around with? <laughs> he's hot, dude. He, yeah, when we get into... And faces, he is... Yeah. He's smoking. Yeah. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though his name's Chet. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I love stories like that. There's a story, I, I just recently screened Pink Floyd at the Wall, and there's a story about um, Geldof's in um, a back of a cab and his agents pitching him the, the role, and Geldof's like, this is the fucking stupidest thing I've ever heard. And like, I'm not, the guy driving the cab is Roger Waters' brother. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he to get in the role. Uh, do you want to jump into the next? Do you want to do Too Late Blues? Yeah. 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 Okay. So this has, I mean, like, it's similar. Like, honestly, we, and I was sitting there watching them, and it helps watching them back to back, because yeah. obviously, um, what's the what's the, 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 the agents in both of them? Um, not not the agent in Too Late Blues, um, but... Um, uh, Rupert, Rupert, Rupert Cross. Yeah, yeah. He's in both movies, right? He plays so, like, Rupert in Shadows yeah. and then Baby right. in Too Late Blues. So it almost seems like you could have just gone, like... Like too late blues is another thing that's just happening in the in the second you know universe essentially like this is all like <laughs> right so I just felt like these are two movies that are just kind of and I know that this was not like this was not Cassavetes' dream he wanted Rollins he wanted Montgomery Cliff which I think God, yeah. I wish I wish we had seen the movie I think Darren's pretty good in I this. do too it's I weird too. and it's weird to me how much he looks like Spacey like I know Spacey did the biopic but like it's 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 pretty it's true <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But I think aside from Darren's, like Montgomery Cliff, I think has a better physicality. Uh -huh. But I think almost Darren's slight frame works for Two Late Blues. So, you know, you give us the well. The this is real quick. Yeah, this is so. This is Cassavetes. One. These are just like I mean, like the the plot. The yeah. Plot roles for these yeah. Are. The this is Cassavetes' studio film though with Paramount, mm -hmm. right? And so Bobby Darren stars as Ghost. He's this ideolo ideological musician who would rather play his blues in the park to the birds right, <laughs> than than compromise himself. He meets and falls in love with with a kind of wannabe singer, right? Jess Polanski. She kind of plays Yoko. <laughs> Right. right. In that her very presence kind of comes between him and his bandmates um, in this culminating event and everything sort of goes to shit. Yeah. <laughs> and and Jess is 
the 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 lady of his of his agent. It's a weird, yeah. Well, kind of at the beginning. This is something else that I really like about Cassavetes is how he is pretty frank about sex. I mean, and we just sort of, I mean, we just talked about the shadows, but he's frank about sex and he is interested in sort of the complexities of love and relationships. And this is one of those complex relationships where you don't get the idea that Jess loves Benny, the agent, right. nor that Benny loves Jess. <laughs> right. But Jess is hot, and Benny likes hot girls that he can kind of control, promise, like, success, and then sort of nag and keep down. Yeah, and Jess is— Jess has been gaslit to— Right, Jess is— Just to— Yeah. I mean, Jess is borderline suicidal throughout the entire movie, and then, of course, I mean, there is a scene where she tries to kill yeah. herself, but— um, Yes, I mean, she's a tragic figure. And she, I mean, she will say things akin to like, well, I I screwed it up again, didn't I? And you're like. (laughs) And and, and this is a woman who is talented. She's got a beautiful voice, but like, but has no self-confidence. And that, you know, um, she's at a party at the beginning of the movie accompanying this piano player and seemingly playing fine, but she just doesn't really know the ins and outs of how all of this works. Right. She starts singing notes that she shouldn't sing. And then she gets embarrassed with herself and leaves and, and turns to Benny for some sort of, uh, you know, comfort. And, and Benny's like, yeah, no, you fucked it up. Like, yeah. like, he didn't use that language, but he's like, yeah, no. But, you, but pretty much. It's like, you sing pretty, but man, you, you yeah, no, you screwed it up, baby. That's not going to work out. We're going to have to find something else. And, and of course she has no self-confidence because men like Benny continue right. to just put her down and destroy her self-confidence. Why wasn't Crawford a bit of bigger actor? I know he was a producer, but, like, man, that guy was good. I know. Like, I know. He, he so is. And, like, intimidating. And he, look, he has a face like you look like he's, like, he seems like he's somebody else you've seen before. Chambers. Chambers, yes, yeah. Sorry, not Crawford. Yeah, but. Um, well, um, that, so that's what, that's what I, I was watching this. I'm like, I've seen this guy and stuff right, before. And I'm right. like, no, I haven't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's a moment, like, when they're in the pool hall later in the film, and he's, He's just out of the crowd, and he's, like, against the wall, just yes. kind of watching. And I'm like, this dude's eyes. Yeah. You can't look away. And they just kind of shift and look around. And, and he's such a weasel, and he seems so dangerous. <laughs> and he's not physically imposing at all. And, I, I yeah, he, I can't believe he wasn't in more because he was— he was really good in this. And, and so the whole film opens up where, um, and so this is a, 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 a really just kind of a ragtag band that, that will play wherever they can play. And they looks like they were playing in some sort of like orphanage, like all these like black kids. Well, it was okay, like, so this was a weird choice to open, right? A I group, a group of white jazz musicians playing to a bunch of black kids. Right, it's the first I'm La just La like, band, it's fine. <laughs> and and the, the kind of matriarch of the orphanage has no time for this. Like, the look on her face is just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And one little kid steals, steals the, the saxophone, saxophone player. And, like, no one's... Like, Darren is, like, laughing his ass off. They're still playing. They're still, yeah, right. And it, and it obviously kind of sets up that Darren... I mean, like, the people that are around him are around him if they want to be, and if they don't, Darren's never going to, like, ask them to be. Right. Um, and, like, so I think he, he enjoys the company... Um, but you know, it, but it doesn't mean anything to him. And right. I, that's obvious as we get to the end of the movie, they, they go directly from, uh, you know, from that orphanage scene, uh, back over to a bar. Um, uh, what was the guy's name? Baba Linsky. Or, <laughs> I fucking love the names in this movie. Nick, right? Nick Bobolinus. Bobolinus. Yes. <laughs> Nick, this, this, they call him Nick the Greek and he's like, no, my name is Bobolinus. And he speaks in this like ridiculous Greek accent. <laughs> Uh, and like, and they're, they, he he runs a pool hall, and all the guys go there to unwind, and they eat sandwiches and drink beers, and like, 
there's like for six sandwiches and six beers, the, the bill is like $2.20. What's 1961? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, and they only have a dollar twenty. Right. And that's where you use it. And so the, the whole idea is that, um, you know, the, the, the agent's trying to get them money, um, trying to get, you know, Bobby Darren, Ghost's band, Bunt Money. Um, and so he gets them gigs and they're in, and Ghost is, is sets up gigs for them to play in the park and like they're playing to nobody, playing to the birds. They get union scale. Right. Yeah. Um, he's like, yeah, the, the, the groundskeeper's making more money than us right now. <laughs> um, so the, 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 the girlfriend comes in and they decide to, to sing with her, of course, but that all, and, and Ghost kind of forms a relationship with her. Um, but that all falls apart almost immediately due to a bad, um, you know, bad gig, essentially, right? I mean, like well, they, well, they so they go to the so after after they play the orphanage, they go to this big party. That's where they meet Jess, right? Right. And so where Jess is like fucked up is the fuck, yeah, it's where she fucked up her parents, right, yeah, right. Um, Ghost spends the night with her, and I don't mean sexually, but like they hang out. And she, and this is another moment where I think Cassavetes gets this right, where she comes out of the bathroom in her apartment, ready to just kind of like give herself over to Ghost because she's like, this is how this, this is works, how works, right? Right, right? right. And I mean, she even sort of says something like, without my body, what am I? I'm, right. I'm like, nothing. So I, so I kind of, you know, use what I have or do any, and, and, you know, Ghost is like, no, that's not how, that's not what I want. That's not how this works. And so then she kind of tags along with the group as they play in the park, as they play a pickup baseball game. A weird pickup baseball <laughs> which is game. Just which bizarre. Is so, right. But then, yeah, she starts to, well, they get, um, they end up getting a contract to record a single. And so Ghost wrote this song where Jess sings without singing. Right. Right. And so, yeah, they're playing. And then they, they go out to celebrate this like recording contract. And that's when they get in this fight with these two kind of knuckleheads playing pool. Right. They're all dancing with Jess. They're all back at Nick's. Yeah. Right? And yeah. So they're all dancing Which is because they were really nice to these guys. I mean, it was like. Right. Yeah. They basically like, we've got money now. We're going to buy some wine. Everyone yeah. can drink. You guys are, you guys are friends, right? You yeah. Can just come kinda, on. You, you can hang out with right. them. You know. And all the guys are dancing with Jess and Jess is in this cute dress and she's kind of, and like, and Ghost is kind of just hanging back saying, because he knows that she's with him and like, it doesn't sure, matter. Right. Like, right. Right. And then one of the guys starts to get handsy with Jess. Well, egged on by sure. Benny, the right. agent, right? Yes, because Benny's pissed that 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 Jess is now with Ghost, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not even. And again, like this, this goes this idea of toxic toxic masculinity. He didn't want anything from her other than just to say, just to control, just to sort of be the one who. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's the whole story of of you know, if you want to be in my rotation, you can be in my rotation. But all I really care about is my music. Mm -hmm. I don't really care how it gets played. I'm gonna play what I want to play, and then you know, and so Benny finds this kind of loudmouth uh, brute, and like, and like, basically, the brutes like, oh, are they musicians? And like, uh, you know what they, you know, they bring Junkies drugs and, and drugs, yeah, right? And they mixing with races, right? So they does the whole like. <laughs> It is underbelly. And then, so, yeah, they, they start, they, you know, um, it's like, why is she dancing with those guys? Because they're, you know, we're friends. It's always, we're friends, right? Yeah, we're they, friends, yeah. Um, and then Tommy, that's the guy's, that's the big knucklehead's name, just starts beating on everybody. <laughs> and and when he gets to Ghost, Ghost just kind of folds. Right. And, and no one cares, right? No one cares. He kind of gets tossed to the side and stays there. But when they help him up, when they sit him up, he kind of lashes out at everyone, right? And that's when Jess is like, well, I don't need this shit. And, right. 
and takes off, and then that leads to a big rift with. Yeah, she, ta- she takes off the jazz. The saxophone player goes with her, yeah. and she kind of throws herself at the mm-hmm. saxophone player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and so then basically there's, the band breaks up. Like, I mean, they go back to... So Jess is now gone, basically. They go back to record the single. There's and, a new girl. And Benny is brought in a new girl to, to record. When Ghost gets there, he shows up late. He's like, "No, this is not gonna. I mean, we're not gonna sing with this new person." And like, so they try to renegotiate the deal, and 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 then it all falls apart. Um, you know, and Seymour Cassell, the band, one of the band players, uh, like gets in his face and is like, "You're ruining this for you. Like, all we've ever wanted to be is a big band. Like, we've been trying to get our break forever. Yeah, and you're fucking this up for us." And then the saxophone player is like, "Look, man, I'll go. I'll right. go, we're ride or die. I'll go. I'll go you with want you. To, like, yeah. you, you need a saxophone player? Call me. I'll be there." Yeah, and so. Benny gets goes to gig playing piano underneath some witch woman's tutelage in this bar. Basically, he, he's and, basically whoring himself. Right, and he can't stand it. He's like he tries to destroy it at every chance he has. <laughs> like, the, the the his his um you know the person who's bankrolling him after one of the shows she she asks him if he wants to drink and she's like you want it on the rockster um you know or neat. neat and he's like and he's like neat and then he, when she hands it to him he's like I know I wanted it on the rocks. Like, <laughs> And she's like, it doesn't matter what I fucking said. You're right? going to say the opposite. You would have said the opposite, right? Um, and then uh, it, it gets a little weird for me, like when Benny brings in the new person and like how like basically he's, you know, he kind of confronts Ghost and says, look, you, um, you're, you're nothing. And yeah. that, that uh, you, you know, you're never going to be anything. Um, and that, you know, everyone knows you're just whoring yourself out and you will never get a job in this town again. Yes. Yeah. And Ghost is like, you know, fine, I don't, I don't give a shit. Um, he runs into the saxophone player again. Um, no, he goes back to Nick. He goes back to Nick's, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and basically kind of like he, now he has no job. Uh, he goes back to Nick's to kind of make good with Nick, right? To like, and then Nick's like, yeah, we're good. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he runs into the saxophone player. Well, he says, where's, where are the guys? And right, he tells right. him. He kind of reluctantly he tells him right where, right. where they're playing. Um, cause he's like, oh, it's this terrible joint with like sawdust and bimbos and everything. <laughs> and, and so then he goes... Yeah, and then he finds out where Jess is, and Jess is now a prostitute in this bar. Uh, he goes and kind of pulls her out of that life. Um, well, not pulls her out of that life. He goes and punches the John that, that she's with. Um, he finally punches someone. He finally sort of, st- I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, in this sort of representational right. way, sort of steps up for her. And she goes into the bar bathroom, um, breaks the mirror, and is trying to kill herself. And there, and in the best shot of the movie right i mean like where they're trying to get her to calm down we have a shot through the drain we're seeing jess's face and it's it's like it was just a really really cool shot for that for a no budget movie he takes jess back to the band and and the band's like get out of here and the band's like fuck you don't have a place here we're done get yourself and lost he even talks to the he even talks to yeah it's you know castles like get yourself and he talks to the saxophone player and he's like that you got to go and then they basically but basically he's there to give jess back to the band and like and then he the intent she starts she starts kind of doing her singing without singing and the right. saxophone player comes over accompanies so, the voice and then everybody shifts back but, into and, that and, song and, and ghost knows that he's not going to be a part of this yeah and lets them have it and i mean lets them have the song that he wrote and that they were going to write together that they were going to record together yeah. and that's basically it I know that this movie was like not what he wanted to do, but I do think this, like, I do think this is really where you're starting to see like 
how good of a filmmaker he's going to be. Like, I mean, not clearly, I don't think the first two that we're going to tackle, I mean, the way we tackle, they're not by far his best films at all. But, um, but this is laying the groundwork for, I mean, really cinema to come for the next fucking 30 years. Well, I think, I think you see some of his hallmarks in storytelling and acting where you get this, like how he handles sort of emotional messiness I, I, I said this earlier, but his views on like complexities of love and sex and kind of his, he has this tough but generous view of people and humanity. I mean, it's, there's such a love for all these characters, mm-hmm. even if he's really hard on them. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think with this film too, you mentioned like the camera placement and movement of shadows. I think you see that here as well. I mean, I, there is some really nice kind of dolly and gliding shots in this. And I think where he, like, from an improvisational style in this film, I think where he starts to really kind of find the joy in the little moments, like -hmm. like where they're ribbing Nick at the bar and giving him a hard time, (laughs) or like where he, where Nick jumps up on on the pool table, not jumps, but sits up on the pool table so they can't shoot their shots anymore. There's a like there's a camaraderie amongst these men even Darren who probably wasn't like one of these guys right and like Darren would have come He's a huge recording star at this Mm -hmm. point and Darren tragically dies at the age of 37 as well Like he's not too long for this world But I mean he would have been a huge star and for him to kind of fit into this role and at times really fade into the background of this movie and like Yes, it's his story, but it's Um, kind of an ensemble film as well. Really? Yeah, absolutely And for Darren, I mean, for Darren not to like make this a Bobby Darren film, and like not to make it where he's crooning at some point, mm-hmm. or or where he's singing. Yeah, he know? never sings. Um, and and so I mean, I think that's I think that speaks volumes for Cassavetes um, and how he did it. But yeah, I mean, like there's there's so many moments in this, and and having um, even the even the darker side of it. Like I think it's very. As much as you say that, like, Cassavetes is very knowing about sexuality and, and even race relations in the, in the, at this time, like, kind of knowing himself, too. If you put Ghost as Cassavetes, this idea of Cassavetes understanding when he can be weak and when he's not, what situations that he would fold under and still come back and have a sense of self-worth. I mean, like, yeah, he lashes out, but it very quickly he there's this there's a like a weight that that Darren carries throughout this film where he's just um, at ease with himself and at ease with his well, not so much with himself but with his art. And again, like we said at the beginning, like you said at the beginning, with this uncompromising vision of like, look, it doesn't matter if I'm if I play seconds and the only people in the in the theater are the birds or the or the projectionist. I'm playing the movie I want to play. Right, right. Again, going back to Gerwig and Polly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not that everyone has to have 100% artistic integrity, right? But, but, that's, I mean, but that's what I think, that's what I love so much about this film is that it is about this idea of artistic integrity, right? And not doing something just for fame or money, but for the kind of the love of it. It's the thing that keeps bringing this guy back to do this stuff. Right, and him hustling in Johnny Staccato uh, you know, in between these two films speaks to that as well. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll, yeah, I'll be in your dumb, dumb PI. And, and, and I don't, I've never watched Johnny Sakata. So but, but I mean, like, I'll be in your dumb, dumb TV series about a PI. And then, and, 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 and yeah, because it's, it's an ends to a means. So if you want me to dress up and be a dancing monkey, I'm going to dress up and be a dancing monkey because what I'm going to put out is going to be what I, you know, what right. I truly love. Right. And, and we've seen him. I mean, it's not like this guy phones anything in either. I mean, we no. see him in The Dirty Dozen. 
And he gets right. nominated for an Oscar, right? right. We've seen him or in Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Baby. Right, yeah. and, and even, like, playing the baddie in Columbo. I mean, right. he's good. I mean, and, and Mikey and Nikki. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is not just... He's doing stuff, yes, to make money to fund this, but he's also really going at it. And that was... And we, next, we talked about it. Cassell is really good in this. I mean, like, again, he's such a... Just a, a, like a vision of, like, of a, a human being. I mean, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> that, that wavy hair that he still has today, yeah. but it's just a little whiter, you know? And yeah. I mean, I don't know. He's just got a face that that um, is really, really compelling. Um, yeah, it's it's you know I know that Cassavetes is not like Elaine May. Cassavetes gets his due. I mean, there are people that right. do retrospectives. Right. He's got a whole five, you know, uh, film box set on Criterion. Most of his stuff is on Criterion. Like hit out of his films, I mean, most of them are lauded. It's not like I mean, whether or not they're really truly watched over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right or or in the in the consciousness necessarily the the their impact is definitely felt. Right. I mean, from Jarmusch to Spike to sure. fucking Kevin Smith. I mean, like it's just Sean Baker. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, like all of these, uh, you know, setting the tone for what cinema would become, especially independent yeah. cinema. Um, it's weird. I feel like Cassavetes is he's like the poet that only other poets know. Right. He's Do you know the, what I mean? He's the comedian's comedian, right? right. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. he's that guy that it's like, oh, yeah, it's, or he was really inf- influential, and people know the name, but they don't know, right. like, everything else. Right, 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 or, right. Or, or they've never actually seen the films. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone knows these certain poets are really fantastic, but no one's ever read the books, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's true, though. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's, and again, talking about, like, going back and revisiting filmographies, um, you know, as we're on the verge of, well, we're not on the verge, we're in the, we're, we're mired in a writer's strike and an actor's strike that is seemingly has not even begun. Um, and, and to what that's going to do to cinema and, um, you know, for the next couple of years or whatever, I, it's, it's, it, it, we, there's so much content and there's so much, it's, it's, it, I don't know, it, we we're losing I think we're losing the thread a lot. Like we're losing like with, with Warner, was it Warner Brothers or MGM that pulls the plug on Turner classic movies. And like, there's so much, I don't know which one it is. I know that one of them owned it and then like they gutted it. It's so. Warner. It's Warner because yeah. it's part, it was part of HBO. Right. Max right. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it's as we get further and further and further away from, uh, these films, I, I wonder how, like, will we truly lose them at some yeah. point? Well, businessmen have no artistic integrity, <laughs> right? And I, right. and I, I mean, I say that as kind of a you know, glib comment, but but it's true, right? They don't care. They, I mean, th- these guys, Zasloff and these cats, don't care about artistic integrity. They don't care about why we keep some of this stuff around, right? They don't give a shit because it doesn't make them any money. It's not it's not um, appeasing stockholders. Who cares if people love them and want to watch them? That doesn't matter. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it, again, it's not really, none of this is about serving a paying customer. None of this is really about the watching public. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's not. I'm glad we can end on a, I know it was my fault, but I'm glad we can end on yeah. a, I know. That was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so next time, please don't make me do a child waits. Oh, okay, we don't have to do a child's weight. Do, do, okay. do, I mean, that was taken away from him. So we, can, was, we, can, we can basically say that that's, okay, we, we can you know, cross we'll, that one through. We'll touch on it. Yeah, we right. will talk about it, but let's let's get to faces. <laughs> well, next next time will be our trilogy of trash. 
uh, we we just screened, and I'm still recovering from our screening of Pink Flamingos for the Fort Worth Film Club. It actually was a wonderful screening. It was great. Uh, a ridiculous amount of laughter, as as there should be. So next time we'll talk about uh, John Waters' a, a trilogy of trash, which is uh, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, and Desperate Living. Um, and, uh, you know, get ready for that. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about uh, another a contemporary film. Um, I don't know. Maybe they clone Tyrone. If you haven't seen that, great. Yet. We'll talk about they clone that sounds Tyrone. Sounds great. Uh, and if maybe I would like to talk about they clone Tyrone in conjunction with the Blackening. If you great, I'll, seen I'll, it I'll watch it. I yeah. will. I will sit down and get to that one. Um, yeah, I think they're a good double feature. And uh, yeah, and then and then we'll get back into Cast of Venice. Uh, um, you know, and we'll do what's the next two? We're not going to do. Faces, faces and, uh, and husbands. Husbands, okay. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. faces and husbands. <laughs> they took a well. Okay, I think I think talking about a child waits is 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 an interesting topic to talk about. But I don't I don't want to I don't want to right right, right right. I don't want to. What we'll do next time instead of a child waits, we'll just talk about David Gordon Green's The Sitter. I don't know if you guys have heard of that movie, but it's really fucking good. <laughs> it's really it's so so good. Jonah it's, Hill and, and it's, it's basically best. the same thing. It's basically the same movie. <laughs> We're just going to uh, review The Exorcist. Big. I don't even know what it's called. I don't even know what the fuck they called it. I forget. I don't know. The Exorcist <laughs> Revelation. I, I, that's not it, but <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. No, but he's going to make a trilogy of those movies, too. So, so now you know that... The Exorcist Believer. Oh, the Exorcist colon Believer. Right. I think they have all three of them already mapped out. And... I don't know. I mean, you got Bernstein back. I guess that's, I, I don't, but I mean, what the fuck else is she going to do? You got, all you got to do, I mean, like, no offense to Ellen Bernstein. I mean, she's great. But I mean, like, if you offered me $5 million, like, or, you know, or whatever, it, it, it could so be So are you hard. saying you don't have artistic integrity? Not at this point. Okay. No, I, mean, I, know. Like, I think it's, I think it's important to be honest with yourself. <laughs> Look, I do this. Th- that would be my Johnny Staccato, you know. And then, then I come back and do whatever the hell I want to do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one for them, one for you. One for the yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Well, so yeah, that's that's the plan going forward. All right. If there's nothing else, thanks for listening. Keep screaming. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting com. If you're in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time...